The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available Pro-Access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In 1973, 21-year-old German college student Annalise Michelle began to descend into an existence of pure and utter madness. She had begun to see the faces of demons appear around her with increasing frequency. She awoke more and more often in the middle of the night, unable to move, unable to scream out, feeling an evil presence overtake her body. Her life had become a never-ending parade of visits to doctors and prayer, and neither priest nor neurosurgeon seemed able to help her. Every time her possession-like symptoms would fade for a few days or a few weeks or even for a few months, and she began to hope that a normal life might be still possible for her, those voices, faces, and feelings of a foreign entity overtaking her body would return stronger and more malevolent than before. Finally, in September of 1975, after years of virtually fruitless prayer, meditation, medication, brain scans, and more, the Catholic Church approved that an exorcism ritual be conducted. And then for the last 10 months of her life, one exorcism after another would be performed on the deteriorating mind and body of this fragile, frightened, and tormented young woman. And today, we dig into the details of the final years of her life and leave you at the end to decide if A, demons in fact are real, and B, demonic forces are what took her life on July 1st, 1976. The second of a two-part suck on the demonic possession of Annalise Michelle today on Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, Time Suckers. I'm the Reverend Dr. Dan Suckmaster Cummins, and you are a bona fide member of the cult of the curious Hail Nimrod. Or maybe you're just someone who stumbled into our strange little world because you were simply curious about today's topic. Or maybe you hit the wrong button on your phone or computer. Or maybe a sadistic madman who happens to be a fan of this show has you tied up in a basement begging for your life. And this is what he chose to let you listen to for your final moments on earth. Well, regardless of why you're here, uh, welcome to the suck. I hope you're having a, I hope you're having a good day. And today's time suck is brought to you 
by this past weekend podcast, hosted by the fucking hilarious Theo Vaughn. I've known Theo a long time, man. I first worked with Theo in South Africa way back in 2011, uh, doing a fun festival. I laughed my ass off watching him in theaters in Johannesburg, Durban, and Cape Town. Uh, we went on a safari together and talked at length about how manly it would be to fuck a lion. Like, just like literally, just just grab a lion, a wild lion, pin it down, and have sex with it. Like, killing a lion is one thing, but if you could, with no weapon other than your own cunning and man strength, walk up on a wild lion, wrestle it to the ground, fuck it, you're officially the toughest dude on earth. You're also very insane, but that doesn't take anything away from the tough part. And I've been a fan of Theo ever since. <laughs> and, and now he has a kick-ass podcast. Theo is uh, one of the few other comics uh, crazy uh, enough to host it solo, just like Time Suck. On this past weekend, new episodes drop on Mondays, just like The Suck. And, and most weeks, he also drops a this past Thursday episode on, uh, you guessed it, Thursdays. And on this gem of a podcast, Theo talks about life uh, like only his crazy Louisiana ass can. Uh, what he's been up to, what's going on in the world, what's happened on tour. He takes calls from fans, talk about anything and everything, gives his advice on life. Captivating storyteller who, uh, who's led and continues to lead a super interesting life. So check out his fucking podcast. Listen, like, subscribe to This Past Weekend with Theo Vaughn today, you mother suckers. Uh, this, past, uh, this podcast also uh, brought to you today by another kick-ass podcast, and that's uh, the uh, My West Coast Buds podcast. Hell yes. Hosted by comic, edible Jedi, and time sucker, Joe DeMeo, My West Coast Buds is an inside baseball look at cannabis, uh, coffee, spirits, Sorry, I uh, if I sound distracted, I'm not. I'm, I'm recording on uh, on the TV here, and it's giving me trying to update messages. I'm like, fucking turn off. I'm trying to find the right button, but yeah, my West Coast buds. That's what we're talking about. Uh, they're great. I, I've listened to a few episodes now, and uh, yeah, Joe just likes to talk about his favorite vices, man: coffee, comedy, and spirits, and cannabis, and more. It's funny. A uh, conversation where you learn a lot about the explosive new industry of legal marijuana, and you learn a lot about uh, whatever the guest area of expertise is. And today, that guest on uh, my West Coast Buds is comedian and whiskey maker Travis Nelson, and uh, he's in studio to teach Ben and Joe all about whiskey. How is it made? What does all the terminology mean? What is a single malt? How much do I have to drink to become blind? I don't know if he talks about that, but he might. You learn all this and more. Also, if any time suckers want to see Joe and Ben live, they're very funny guys. Uh, buy a pass to the Undertow Comedy Festival, Lincoln City, Oregon, this weekend, April 26th, 27th, and 28th. Get 10 bucks off the pass, any pass you get, with the code GETPULLEDUNDER. So you can listen and subscribe to the My West Coast Buds podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, all over, uh, mywestcoastbuds.com. Link in today's episode description. You can also find them in the sponsor section of the Time Suck app. You can just push their button. Speaking of comedy, man, huge thank you to all the Salt Lake City suckers. Holy shit. Friday Night Late Show was the only show this past weekend that wasn't completely sold out. Uh, the rest were sold out before you could even try to get tickets to the door, which is unreal, and I'm so thankful. Uh, more people came out this past weekend uh, than they did when I actually shot a special there a few years back, and the shows were even more fun. Uh, Salt Lake City professional photographer Logan Sorensen, he came out, took a bunch of live photos. Uh, some studio stuff as well. Uh, dude, he, he takes a lot of uh, band stuff, which I love. He just he just shot Queens of the Stone Age recently, and it was awesome to have him come take some pics. Uh, it's lmsorensen.net if you're in the SLC area. Been feeling like a dream lately, man, at these shows, man. It's so much fun. So, uh, uh, had some uh, fans dressed up as Chikatilo uh, come out of a couple of these, uh, these shows this past weekend. They were wearing track suits, Chikatilo, uh, homemade T-shirts, sweatpants. Unreal. Can't wait to get more live time sucks on the books. It's just going to be fucking bananas. I hope we get a ton for 2019. 
Uh, San Francisco Punchline coming up this week and weekend, Wednesday through Saturday, April 25 through the 28th. If half as many time suckers come out as they did in Salt Lake, it's going to be a fucking blast. Uh, Spokane is up after that Sunday, fun day, May 6th. Live time suck at the fantastic Spokane Comedy Club. Gary Ridgeway, that piece of shit, the Green River Killer, going to suck him live. Sacramento Punchline, May 10th and 12th. It's got one of my favorite comic book shops near there, so that'll be cool. Uh, and I'm excited for the shows. Uh, Tempe, Arizona Improv, May 31st through June 3rd. Bunch more dates after that, man. Just waiting for a ton of uh, lazy comedy club managers to get their shit together and put the dates we have on their website so customers can actually buy tickets to your establishments, you fucking morons. Uh, if you're listening, comedy club managers, uh, just pretend I'm talking about a different club. I'm amazed that some of these places, as fun as they are to perform at, are able to stay in business uh, based on some of the people who run them. Uh, more tour dates at dancummins.tv. Pootie and Juju, limited edition Danger Brain design mugs I talked about on Friday, are already fucking sold out. Incredible. Sorry to those who didn't get them quick enough. Uh, there are going to be a few more. And there's also going to be more Pootie and Juju stuff down the road. And I'll tell you why there's going to be a few more. 40 of the mugs were uh, not able to be sold because there was a quality issue. We're not going to sell you pieces of shit. So 40 mugs will become available as soon as the mug people make more, uh, 40 more mugs, which hopefully about a week. So silly mug people. And, um, yeah, and, and, it's, and sorry on the shipping and handling. I'm trying to figure out how to get shipping and handling prices, like more options, get the prices down. I promise I make none of that money. That is just uh, the UPS store that gets all of that. But we're trying to figure out how to, how to reduce that cost to you. Also, my wife, Lindsay Queen to Suck, office manager and more. She coordinated with Harmony Velocamp to ask fans to nominate me for a TED Talk. I didn't even realize that had happened because I was slammed in Salt Lake City with other stuff. But I guess a lot of you responded on social media. So uh, thank you. Uh, if you would like to nominate me for a TED Talk, uh, I'll, I'll have the info here on the podcast uh, in the episode description where you can go on the, on the web to do so. You can just Google nominate for TED Talk and, the, and their little website portal comes right up. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I would love uh, to, to do that. I would love to talk about, you know, how the suck got started and, um, you know, and, and kind of a little talk about encouraging people not to give up just because maybe, uh, you know, what they've done previously hasn't worked. Keep trying, keep throwing stuff against the wall. And then if you, uh, if you work really, really hard at something, uh, you, still might, you still might not get it, but you're going to give yourself the very best odds of getting it. You know, if you don't work really, really hard, uh, you're, uh, you know, way less odds that you're going to get it. And if you don't try at all, you're definitely not going to get it. Uh, so all you can really do in life is just fucking, you know, grind, grind, grind. Uh, one more thing, man. Time sucker Adam Dayton sent two huge custom hand-painted cornhole boards. Uh, I don't know if you play cornhole. It's kind of like horseshoes, but with beanbags. Um, I love it. And he sent them to the Suck Dungeon, and they're amazing. And he'll make them for you. I have pics up on social media, at Time Suck Podcast. His email is adamdayton18 at gmail.com. And he, oh, man, tender loving care on those boards. They're beautiful. All right. Let's get to it. Let's get to it now. Bonus episode 20. Sorry, I know you've been waiting. Demonic Possession of Annalise Michelle, part two of two. Right now, beware of Lucifina. Her force is strong in this one. Okay, weird energy around today's suck. Uh, as I began to dig in today's time suck timeline, I, I had this is I had three pages documents open on my MacBook. That, that's right, PC, PC lovers. I use a Mac. Uh, I prefer it. And and I had a document open of, of about thirty thousand words worth of notes. The great Lily Twins had compiled to get me going to get me uh, started. On this uh, on this two part suck, and and I also had like my notes from part one, uh, you know Friday's episode open as a second document, and then I had today's script as a third document. So I got I got three documents open on my um, on my window, and uh, kind of arranged them so you can just you know 
Uh, like the corner of one is always visible if you're looking at the other one. So you can just kind of click between the three. Uh, and I done that. And, and then I was, I was working on today's script documents. I'm starting to creep myself out. Now I, I chose to be uh, nice and dark in the suck dungeon to make this scarier, but I'm working. On, I've never had this happen. I'm working on today's script. And suddenly the place where I had stopped working on the document with the Lily twins notes starts moving around like, like scrolling, but I'm not scrolling it. Does that mean, I swear to you, this has happened. Does that make sense? Like, like, um, I'm looking at one document and then out, you know, I see the corner of the other document with the notes that I have looking and it just starts moving on its own and I'm not even touching the trackpad. Uh, I don't think, I, I don't know how the hell that happened. And then, and then it does it. So I go back into that document. I'm like, well, that's weird. I thought it was just like a weird glitch. I move it back to where I'd left off where I wanted to be in the, uh, cursor wise in the notes, go back to today's script. Working on that again, scrolls around again, starts moving again, super creepy. Now, and you know, I could have accidentally hit some button uh, or, or maybe my palm was touching my trackpad or, or something. Could have been just a, a computer glitch, but it is weird that I do that every single suck. I do that for every episode, and that is the only time it's ever happened. Very unfortunate and odd timing at the very least. So I just uh, just need to let you know where I'm, where I'm at mentally with this one. Um so last episode, uh, we left off with Annalise Michelle in the summer of 1973. She had been battling a variety of strange ailments since the summer of 69. It was a summer of 69. Oh, yeah. Back in the summer of 69. Oh, man. We were killing time. We were young and restless. We needed to unwind. I guess nothing can last forever. I think I fucked up that melody. That was, that was, you just got Brian, Brian Adams. You just got Brian. I didn't even listen to that. I didn't even listen to that song. I haven't heard that song in probably a year, but it's part of it is somewhere in my brain forever. You know, but it didn't feel right. It didn't. Let me, let me try it again. Yamo be there. Oh, 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 Yamo be there. Okay, that felt right. That felt right. That had nothing to do with today's episode, but it felt good to Michael motherfucking McDonald you to correct what I'd done with Brian Adams. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm back. I'm back. All is good again. But for real, Annalise had been battling a variety of illnesses, some form of ep- epilepsy, for four years. Uh, she'd actually had her first seizure five years before, 1968, when she was 16. Uh, and she'd also been a sickly child. She'd got the mumps, measles, scarlet fever. Basically, if something was going around, uh, Annalise was going to catch it. Uh, she'd also enjoyed long stretches of good health, though. She lived in the little German town of Klingenberg, Klingenberg on Main, and was raised in a strict, very Catholic uh, household. She, she also, if you recall, did play the, court, the accordion, uh, a.k.a. the devil's hand piano. Uh, she'd seen a ton of doctors. She'd suffered a severe bout of pneumonia, spent a lengthy amount of time in a uh, sanatorium. Back when she was 16, had her first seizure. She also experienced her first bout of either sleep paralysis or was visited by some sort of demonic shadow person uh, or both. For the past three years, she'd been seeing the occasional demon face just kind of pop up in her periphery, which she did not seem to enjoy. I bet not. Uh, She'd been hearing strange knocking sounds around her room at night. In the spring of 1973, her mom had walked into the living room to find Annalise staring at an image of the Mother Mary with black evil eyes and some kind of demon claws for hands, which her mom did not seem to particularly care for. And in the summer of 1973, her dad took her on a religious pilgrimage to San Damiano Church and Monastery near Assisi, Italy, where there had been incidents of the faithful having allegedly been miraculously healed for centuries. You know, pretty nice thing to do for, you know, of of dad did there. You know, nice of dad to do that. 
But instead of being grateful, Annalise refused to go inside the church, refused to wear a religious necklace her dad had bought her, weirded out everyone else on the guided trip, insulted the tour guide, and worst of all, smelled like burning shit on the bus ride back home. And, and that was when her fam decided to talk to some priests about a possible exorcism. It was, it was the burning shit that broke the camel's back. And that, dear time sucker, is what takes us into today's time suck timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. First half of September 1973 was a busy time in the Michelle household. Annalise's uh, siblings, even ugly old Gertrude, were preparing for work and new jobs while Annalise grew more and more depressed about her future. The medication she'd been prescribed for epilepsy had left her feeling depressed and despondent. Uh, Frau Hein, the woman who organized the trip to San Damiano, told the Michelles that they should contact a priest named Father Habiger, the pastor of the Mother of God Parish in uh, Schaschenberg. Uh, the family met with the priest told him about the trip to San Damiano, told him about Annalise's aversion to religious items, talked about demon faces, claw hands, black eyes, otherworldly accordion skills, devil's hand piano. Uh, but in person, Father Habiger found Annalise uh, entirely normal, albeit you know a, a little bit shy. He saw no signs of possession. But based on what the Michelle family uh, you know, told him, he did put the family in touch with an exorcism specialist, a priest by the name of Father Ezekiel Whistlefingers. <laughs> That's not true. What a tragic name that would be. Like, what if you were ambitious and wanted to, you really wanted to be successful, but you were born with the name of Ezekiel Whistlefingers? I think you'd have to change your name, wouldn't you? There's no way you're going to be Pope. You're, you will never be Pope with that bullshit. Pope Whistlefingers? Not a chance. Absolutely not. Uh, no, uh, Father Habiger recommended the Michaels to a Jesuit priest named Father Tinkle McButt Muffin. Of course, that's not his name. That would be another tragically unfortunate name. His name was uh, Adolf uh, Rodwick. Rodwick, excuse me. And he was based in Frankfurt. I got to say Adolf, also not the best name in post-World War II Germany, but arguably still better than Whistlefinger uh, or McButtmuffin. So, you know, Whistlefingers, excuse me, should be plural. Got to get my fake names right. Uh, anyway, Father uh, Rodwick was the local expert in matters of possession, having published several books on the topic. He was born in 1894 was the second lieutenant in the First World War. Uh, after the war in 1918, he joined the Jesuit priesthood in the Netherlands. After studying theology in Bonn, Innsbruck, uh, Wachtenberg, he was ordained a priest in 1925 and then later became rector of the college in Bad Godesberg and Hamburg and the superior in Koblenz and Bonn. Uh, during the Second World War, Father Rodwick was a chaplain of the military hospital or of a military hospital. He met a nurse he believed to be possessed during the war, carried out an exorcism, became widely known uh, amongst fellow priests, and then this led to hundreds of other exorcisms being performed over the following decades. And when he was told about Annalise, he requested a written account of the events, and oh, and, and he also ended up like publishing some books on exorcisms over the years too. Like he was like he was the the dude, he was the the exorcism guy. Uh, when he was told about Annalise, he requested a, a written account of the events, he, and, and he responded by stating that he did uh, believe he may in fact be or that she may in fact be possessed, but due to his advanced age of seventy nine. He just wouldn't personally be able to be uh, come involved. So he suggested contacting some, some other priest with some exorcism experience, Father Ehrman in uh, Schaffensburg uh, was one of them. And Annalise would see Father Ehrman about 10 times between the summer of 1973 and the summer of 1975. Uh, Father Ehrman found Annalise to be a nice young woman from a deeply religious home. Annalise complained about not feeling herself, about not feeling like she was always in control of herself. 
Uh, she tried to describe the demonic faces she'd been seeing in detail but could not. She presented no blatant signs of demonic possession in the priest's presence, uh, so he suggested that she see a neurologist, and Annalise told him she'd already been down that road many times. She'd had brain scans, she'd been prescribed medication, and nothing seemed to help. How terrible would that feel? I mean, can you imagine starting to see demon faces? Like, for whatever reason, just waking up in the middle of the night, you're paralyzed, uh, you see these faces, you suddenly are also, you know, feeling a strong aversion to religious objects, you know, especially if you're a, a very religious person, you know, the thing that, you know, one of the, arguably the most important part of your life, and now you're, you have a strong aversion to it, you're feeling that something else is taking control of your soul, you're hearing voices, and then you go to the doctors, and, you know, and you get prescribed various medications, and you receive a battery of tests, brain scans, you're given all sorts of treatment, and nothing helps. And now, after years of suffering, after years of doctors, you see a priest, and he doesn't know how to help you either. That would be hell for me. Just the constant not knowing how to fucking solve this problem. I'm a control freak, and, and not knowing, it would drive me mad. I, I hate not having a plan. I hate feeling out of control, uh, not knowing what I'm supposed to do to fix a problem. Th- this mentality is why, like, flesh wounds, I was thinking about this, like, bruises and cuts ha- have never really bothered me. But... It's also why I'm a whiny bastard whenever I catch a cold because I, I would much prefer some type of cut, even if it requires stitches, than a prolonged cold because with a cut, I understand the healing process. It seems very manageable and straightforward. Like you get cut, your body works to heal the cut, and you get to watch the progress visually. Instantly recognizable progress, scab forms. Skin and the tissue underneath the scab repair itself. Scab flakes away to reveal new skin. Skin fades into a scar over time. The scar itself fades and you get to watch all of this progress. You, you see yourself getting better. You see the end in sight. But, but not with a lingering virus or cold. Sometimes you start to feel better, and suddenly a whole new set of symptoms manifest itself. You know, you think you're healed, and then you relapse, and you have, you have no idea when it's going to end. Same mentality is why I prefer the, uh, the forest to the sea. There's predators and dangers in both places, but in the forest, I can see the dangers. I can hear them coming. I can watch them getting closer or moving farther away, and I can constantly reassess the threat. Not true in the sea. When you're treading water, and God knows what could be coming for your dingle-dangle. But fear of the unknown, seriously, is one of the most powerful uh, fears out there. Imagine the fear Annalise must have felt, not knowing what was inside of her, what felt like it was inside of her, and it had been going on for years. Not knowing if it was psychological, you know, uh, if it was physical, if it was spiritual, never knowing uh, what it was going to do next, when it would come back, because she was constantly going back and forth, she'd feel good, and then bam, something crazy out of the blue would just go on. That drags on for years. Oh, terrible. This poor, this poor girl. So Annalise tried to convince Father Ehrman that, that medical treatment just won't work. Her, her parents uh, telling me about the disrespect Annalise has felt at times towards holy objects, about the times when the stench of burning feces has appeared in whatever room she happens to be in, you know, because they're smelling it too, not just her. Uh, what if after all this, they finally discovered that she had just been uh, suffering from really bad gas? Like in secret this whole time, She'd been snacking on rotten eggs and rancid pinto beans, rinsing it down with spoiled milk and eating so much cheese, like Limburger, Munster. You know, it's been messing up her digestive tract so bad it actually starts to make her hallucinate. You know, and she just forgot to kind of mention this for the past few years. Like, how pissed would you be if you were her parent and she finally admits it, like five years after like five years of hell? You, and, you, and you have no idea where the smell of the burning feces could be coming from, dear child. Well, Father, now that I think about it, my, my midnight snack ritual may have something to do with all of this. Uh, well, despite what Annalise and her parents told Father Ehrman, uh, he just didn't experience any of these things during the meeting. So, so he can't just justify an exorcism based on what they're saying. 
Instead, he and Annalise frequently pray the, the rosary together. And, and during these times, you know, she, she is calm. She's pious. She shows no behavior that would lead him to suspect anything. And then another priest hears of Annalise's case. And Annalise is in, introduced to Father Whipple von Dingleberry. I mean, Father Alt, uh, around September of 1973, a man who years later, when Father Alt is put on trial for bearing responsibility in Annalise's death, would have his own mental health questioned. Based on his descriptions and letters to the church officials about his dealings with Annalise, a neurologist would actually suspect him of being a paranoid schizophrenic. On September 30th, 1974, Father Alt did uh, write a letter to his bishop describing how he'd come to hear about Annalise the year before and what his initial impressions were regarding her claim of demonic possession. Now, keep in mind, in this letter, he's writing about all, all the stuff that happens, all the thoughts he has before he meets her. He has not met her in person yet. He's only been shown some pictures and told about her uh, from other priests. And he says, after much consideration and considerable hesitation, I should now like to acquaint you with the case of spiritual counseling about which I spoke to you very briefly when you were here for a visit. This is the case of Annalise Michelle of Klingenberg. I will attempt to relate to you the case in order as it happened. My friend, Father Roth, came to me one evening and asked me to help him and some of his priest colleagues in solving a case of spiritual counseling. This concerned girl, Annalise Michelle, whom he had not yet met. According to the opinion of some persons, she was allegedly, uh, she was alleged to be possessed or at least molested by the devil. Uh, strange verbiage, strange way of saying that, molested by the devil. And, and weird how that is inferred to not uh, be as bad as being possessed. You know, just, my God, was she, was she possessed by the devil? No, 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 it wasn't that serious. She was only molested. The devil had no interest in her soul. It was her tits he wanted. And her tight, sweet Catholic wiener hole wedged between her virginal thighs. He just wanted to put the tip in. Maybe get his devil face down there and soak up her sweet lady scent. That Catholic schoolgirl outfit really does it for the devil. It was molestation he was after. Damn you, Lucifina. That was way too sexually explicit. Sorry about that, guys. Back to the letter. I was supposed to tell you, uh, I was supposed to tell by tuning in, by tuning in on, this is a kind of weird language to use, by tuning in on whatever she was radiating, I, I do <laughs> I do kind of see why the neurologist was a little bit like, ah, I don't know about this guy. He says, I was supposed to tell by tuning in on whatever she was radiating, whether she was sick or not. Suddenly, I was able to describe the whole family, father, mother, sisters, and grandmother, something I could not possibly know since I had never seen them. Later, all of this could be verified. As to Annalise, I felt an enormous radiation that originated from her neck or rather from her thyroid and her head. I did not detect any illness. This, of course, did not permit any conclusions as to whether she was possessed or not. Two days later, a fellow priest, Father Ehrman, uh, who was going to take charge of the case, visited me. He handed me two letters, one written by Anna Michelle, the other by Annalise. So, you know, mom and daughter. I was unable to read them because all of a sudden I became so nauseated that I thought that at any moment I was going to faint. I experienced a strange excitation such as I had never been subject to before, considerably frightening and startling my fellow priest who was a witness to all of this. Naturally, even this experience, of course, did not prove we were dealing with the case of possession. That evening, I celebrated Mass. I was mentally prepared for transubstantiation. The moment, that's the moment in Mass when the, uh, the transformation of the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ occurs. And also included that unknown girl in the sacrifice. All of a sudden, something hit me in the back. The air turned cold, and at the same time, there was an intense stench as though something was burning. Always with the burning shit. I had to lean against the altar. With great effort and only a dint of considerable concentration was I able to speak the rest of the text. I felt deeply distressed as if a negative force were surrounding me, which, however, aside from vexing me, could inflict no real harm. After the service, I went to a fellow priest and reported everything to him calmly and in detail. 
The subsequent night was the most restless I have ever spent. I had taken a very effective sleeping pill, one that had previously always helped, but I could find no rest. My apartment was filled with a variety of stenches, as though something were burning of dung, of an open sewer, of fecal matter, matter, and these kept alternating. So much burning shit. Uh, Man, that must be the stinkiest of all stinks, because the devil clearly prefers to torment you with it. They, They never say what kind of shit it is, though. Like, is it human? Is it some other animal? Like, I haven't done a sniff-by-sniff comparison, but compared to what I've experienced in bathrooms versus cleaning up uh, dog and deer shit in my yard, I feel like human shit smells worse than deer shit, but that dog shit smells worse than human shit. However, to get a truly fair assessment, I would have to also shit in my yard and have my family also shit in the yard. And then we'd have to leave our shit out there for several days along with the dogs, let it get exposed to the same elements, left out in the sun, rained on, insects, etc., and then I'd have to sniff them and see if, uh, see if it's worse. Maybe in that situation, human is worse. I did Google what animal has the smelliest shit, and, uh, and I came across one of, the, one of those weird top 10 list sites, and it was top 10, uh, top10s.com, and they list human poo as being the stinkiest, uh, followed by cow, horse, pig, then dog. Dog is fifth. Elephant, cat, monkey, goat, and rhino. Uh, yeah. Now, this is not a scientific study. They, they cite zero scientific uh, you know, studies <laughs> in this top 10 list. So I do question their claims. But, uh, but until someone does send me a study, I, I guess I'll just have to assume that human poo is, in fact, the stinkiest. So we're talking about burning human shit, to be very clear. Glad we were able to dig into that thoroughly. I'm sure that's exactly what you wanted to hear. Uh, more letter now. Uh, it didn't matter whether I reached out to the rosary or whether I spoke some other prayer. The stench continued. It was literally infernal. Literally infernal. Didn't just smell like it was uh, from hell. It, it actually was from hell. Didn't just smell like it. Uh, in addition, there was an occasional loud thumping in my wardrobe. I lay in bed feeling sorely pressed. I tried to pray. In my own words, I spoke an exorcism, thinking of my priestly power. For a few minutes, I felt easier, but I was simultaneously ice cold and yet bathed in perspiration. In my extremity, I called to Father Pio for help since I knew he'd experienced similar tribulations. Nothing happened. I repeated my prayer to him and suddenly my room was filled with such an intense fragrance of violets that I thought I had dumped aftershave lotion on my pajamas but it smelled only of my own sweat. Why is he using violet aftershave lotion? That seems unusual to me. Is that a thing? I've never, I've never had violet-scented anything in my entire life. Where do you even get violet-scented aftershave lotion? Ah, I just lost a lot of respect for you, priest. That seems a little weird. That seems, that seems just, you know, I don't know. Violet-flavored, how? Oh, because like aftershave lotion, manly, violet, not manly. It's a very mixed signal. So many smells in this suck. Are violets what heaven smells like? Google just doesn't rank them in even the top 10. I also Googled what's the best smelling flower. Roses show up first. Jasmine's up there. What, what about pussy willow? Is that what heaven smells like? Does heaven smell like pussy? Willow. Strangely. At the same time, I stopped perspiring and my body felt warm. I breathed with relief and then only to discover, to my amazement, that my field of vision had been very much narrowed and my color perception was reduced. Now I was able to see colors once more in their normal intensity. The pressure on my head had disappeared. Before having to get up, I fell into an hour's restful sleep. My night had lasted from 11 the previous evening until 5 o'clock in the morning. When the following evening I told my fellow priests about all of this, they were suddenly able to smell the same strange scent. stench. The entire parish house smelled as though of burning, although the windows were open. So much fire, so much burning. Uh, so much poo. It's like, I guess it's like hell is just one big flaming sack of shit. 
Uh, then he says, the molestations did return a few more times, but they became less vivid. And if I prayed the exorcism prayer to myself, they stopped quite abruptly. Occasionally, it was as if I had to struggle against them. In the evening, I took a walk with my friend, Father Roth. And once more, we talked about Annalise Michelle. And then we smelled the same series of stenches. Finally, now, I heard some of the details about the girl's affliction. And then he lists, you know, the various details. A few weeks later, I met her personally. Uh, she was very depressed, but in our conversation, she was able to express herself very clearly, and she obviously had a considerable gift of analysis. Okay, so at the end, so at the end of the letter, he, he's, he's recalling all, all the things he had before he met her, and he expresses that he had met her. And this is a, a letter written to the this yeah bishop. I mean, a serious letter. And man, all this crazy stuff happening to him just based on thinking about considering, you know, uh, helping this girl. Uh, so yes, yeah, pretty, pretty strange. And, and that's the, that's the bulk of one of, you know, father all's letters. Uh, so clearly, you know, something demonic going on, or he is a very melodramatic collar wearer, or he's also mentally ill or is mentally ill. I shouldn't say also. So short, shortly after he, he experiences all this craziness, father Alt actually does, you know, like, uh, meet Annalise, you know, like he says in the, in the letter there during one of, uh, his, her, her first conversations with Father Alt, Annalise's face suddenly changes in front of him. Her eyes darken in a way that the color of her eyes is no longer uh, no longer distinguishable from the pupil. Uh, it was as though her soul left her body. Uh, the lights were, were still kind of on, but Annalise no longer home. And uh, Father Alt, of course, now worrying, uh, worried that she is being molested, that a, that a devil diddler has gotten a hold of her. And then he gives her some kind of priestly blessing. And suddenly, after the blessing, she appears normal again. Uh, so obviously he's he's more intrigued now. After, after this initial blessing, life begins to become normal again for Annalise as well for a little while. She's able to return to school. This is October 73. Uh, major in education and theology at the University of Würzburg. That's what she's studying. Uh, she stays at a Catholic hostel, quickly acquaints herself with many of the churches in the area, uh, you know, searching for places to pray. Uh, she starts sleeping with a metal chastity belt and wraps her breast down in linen uh, soaked in holy water to make it that much harder uh, for the devil to do his uh, evil diddling. Uh, of course, that, that last part's not true, uh, but she is, she's taking her medication. She's visiting now, Father Alt, every two weeks, and life seems to be somewhat under control for a bit. Everything's cool for a second, but then the demon faces start showing up again, which makes focusing during lectures a wee bit difficult. Uh, yeah, I bet. I would think it would be challenging to pay attention to an hour-long theology lecture when you're operating at 100% max capacity at your top, but then you add some distracting demon faces into the mix, yeah, forget it. You are not making the honor roll. Uh, and then in November of 1973, Annalise meets a boy, boy named Peter. She gets her first taste of young love. So this is a high point, clearly, in her in her young life. Her classmates and family notice she's suddenly the happiest she's ever been. And then over the next few weeks, Peter uh, literally fucks the devil right out of her. Just some good dick. Turns out that was what she needed. And now there is an entirely new exorcism method that has been created. It's the deep dicking method. Uh, no. Peter does not fuck the devil out of her, but they do share a few happy weeks. Uh, probably not full of sex. Uh, she was very, very religious. Uh, I'm guessing some necking. Um, maybe a little like like over the sweater boob cupping. Maybe a little boob cuppage. Maybe like a, a mild dry hump. Like a, maybe some mild dry humping. Uh, but then two weeks later, Annalise uh, tells Peter that he has to go. Uh, she's been experiencing uh, feeling paralyzed at night again. So there's the sleep paralysis and or shadow people. She's still battling feelings of depression. She's afraid for him to see all this, but he doesn't leave. Uh, November 27th, 1973, Peter, not a, a deeply religious person, convinces Annalise to go to yet another doctor, a therapist this time, a man named Dr. Leonard. And Dr. Leonard asked her a lot of questions about her relationship with her parents. 
You know, uh, he felt that she was suffering from a case of neurosis uh, brought on by a domineering father and a mother whom she hated because she wasn't allowed to have any boyfriends, which is an interesting, you know, uh, thing to bring up here. I mean, she did have a very, you know, uh, very controlled upbringing. You know, her, her parents were very domineering, especially her mom, very active in her life. And her mom was, you know, just so concerned about her daughter's, you know, chastity and virginity and, you know, religiousness that she, you know, you know, was very, very strict about letting her out, about letting boys around. It is amazing how often overbearing, oppressive parenting comes up when you're digging into the lives of psychologically damaged human beings. It uh, doesn't, doesn't seem to be the best parenting style. Uh, based on Annalise's description of her symptoms, Dr. Leonard suspects epilepsy is the cause of the seizures. He refers her to the University Neurological Clinic, and the next day, Annalise goes in for an EEG. Dr. Ergmond Schlepp, uh, the academic director of the clinic, reported irregular patterns in the left temporal area of the brain. The previous five EEGs showed no abnormalities. Uh, this doctor assumed it was epilepsy. Dr. Schlepp switched her from Dilantin to uh, Tegretol. Since Dilantin uh, hadn't completely suppressed the epilepsy-like activity in her brain, they were trying to figure out how to deal with. Uh, Tegretol, like Dilantin, has various potential side effects. It can cause fatigue, nausea, dizziness, among many other things. Uh, Annalise told Dr. Schlepp uh, of her homesickness for her family and that she couldn't feel for Peter the way she felt she should. She also spoke of nauseating stenches, uh, which Dr. Schlepp thought were psychomotor seizures. That can be another kind of seizure, you know, just uh, having suddenly smelling strange scents. Uh, obviously, that would, that would not explain why others around her also smelled these. Um, you, I guess you can. The only thing you could cite, possibly the, in the scientific community, that would explain that somewhat is maybe like mass hysteria. I'm guessing, but you know, that's a, uh, you know, that one's always like a tricky one for me. It's like, is that a real thing? I mean, like everyone's suddenly smelling the same thing that wasn't there. Uh, Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But uh, Dr. Leonard diagnoses her ailments as psychological. Dr. Schlepp diagnoses them as uh, uh, physiological. So they both think it's uh, some combination of mental and physical. She does not mention the demonic faces to either of these doctors. Uh, Peter tolerates Annalise's depressed moods, which come and go. Uh, they stay together. They discuss, you know, through all this, they discuss religious matters. And then Peter does start going to church again. And then it was in December of 1973 that Annalise feels comfortable to tell Peter about the demonic faces and about the stenches. And, uh, and, he's, and he still doesn't take off. So good, good for Peter. Uh, Annalise told Peter that uh, perhaps the switch to Tegretol had, had helped. However, it didn't help the stenches, uh, which came without any visible source. Her whole family, again, could smell them. So that is, you know, again, very strange. Her depression coincided with the stenches and demonic faces. Peter suggested she might be hallucinating. Annalise explained that when these things happened, she had no control over herself. No say about anything. Uh, struggled against this laws of control, but always lost. In March of 1974, Annalise begins to visit Father Alt a little more often because she can't entirely get rid of the demonic faces uh, in spite of taking her medication regularly, but, but talking to him does help. And uh, she quickly improves, you know, when, when they pray. Annalise tries to visit Father Alt as often as she can. You know, she, she does uh, feel like his blessings are helping more than the medication. He, he thinks she might be improving to, and, and suggests uh, she practice a stricter religious lifestyle and that she continue her visits to the medical doctor. Uh, April 1974, she sees Dr. Slip again, Dr. Schlepp, excuse me, and then she visits uh, Dr. Leonard again on May 7th, 1974, due to having now uh, frequent severe headaches, mainly emanating from her forehead. She's got all kinds of shit going on. I mean, this poor girl did deal with various medical maladies her entire life. Uh, the headaches might have been a side effect of the Tegretol. 
Her reflexes are slow. She sleeps more than usual now. Uh, Dr. Schlepp wonders if Annalise is not taking her medication on a, on a proper, like, regular schedule. Uh, Dr. Schlepp uh, finds her EEG improved and does want her to continue with Integritol. Summer 1974, everything continues. The smells, the faces, the headaches. Uh, Father Alt has been sharing what he's been hearing from Annalise during their meetings with all of his preach friends. And, and they do all agree that at the very least, uh, Peter's deep dick and exorcism method is not working and, and that they need to try something else. Uh, no, but they do actually all agree that some form of demonic work is at play, but they're still not ready to pull the trigger on a full-fledged exorcism quite yet because to call for an exorcism on the Roman Catholic Church, several conditions have to be met. It's actually gotten stricter in recent years, but uh, even back then, uh, the, de- the demon had to completely control the body, obviously control the body, rendering the person helpless. And this didn't seem to be quite the case yet. Annalise is still able to get around and, and live her life somewhat. Annalise and Peter are, are still dating despite all of these strange going-ons. And uh, despite her mother, Anna, being a bit of a controlling maniac, her mom uh, will not let this grown woman and Peter be alone in a room together. She's around, and she doesn't want Peter visiting her uh, daughter more than once a week. She is old school. Uh, Throughout the rest of 1974, Annalise becomes more and more depressed. Uh, Her parents don't approve of her having a boyfriend. Doctors can't stop the demonic forces she continues to see from going away. She still deals with the occasional sleep paralysis. The church won't sign off on an exorcism. She feels, again, like, like God has abandoned her. She's devoted herself to God, but, but not even the church is helping her. Uh, she grows steadily more depressed and thinks of suicide again. And then in May of 1975, her, her grandma dies. And uh, so just bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. She's still dating Peter, who, who must really, really, really care for her to deal with all this shit. Or, or maybe she wasn't quite that religious. Maybe she is giving Peter such good loving that he is willing to rationalize dating a woman who believes she's possessed by demonic forces who sees uh, demon faces and constantly hears voices in her head telling her that she's damned. Uh, I bet the sex, if they did have it, was amazing. Uh, Then in late June, early July 1975, shit goes to the next level with Annalise. During a meeting with Father Alt on June 28th, uh, also attended by her boyfriend Peter and her sister uh, Rosewitha, Annalise flips out, starts throwing shit at Peter and her sister. Uh, On the following Tuesday, Father Alt visits Annalise in Würzburg, finds her in deep despair, she tells him that she's condemned. Uh, they begin to pray a rosary, and then suddenly she's unable to continue, and tears are running down her face. She assures Father Alt she is taking her medication. At the end of the meeting, Father Alt prays an exorcism prayer to himself, and when he does this, Annalise immediately stands up to defend herself and rips the rosary to pieces. And then when Peter arrives, Annalise tells him in a deep, guttural voice to leave. Father Alt is now absolutely convinced of Annalise's possession. He tells Annalise's parents they need to bring her home from school, uh, on, on, and they do on July 17th, and that's when she does return home to Klingenberg. Shortly before she leaves Wurzburg, a friend of hers, Anna Lippert, uh, recalls witnessing the following disturbing uh, incident. She says, I remember an incident from July 1975. I sat with her in her room, and her boyfriend Peter was also present. Suddenly, right in the middle of the conversation, her face contracted into a real fratz, a hideous, grimacing countenance. I cannot describe in detail. Her body became completely stiff. It took half an hour before the cramp disappeared. Her boyfriend explained to me that her condition was due to the fact that she was possessed. I, too, thought it must be a possession, for her grimace was so demonic I could think of nothing else. Oh, man, again, he must have really cared for her. I mean, I, lo- I look, I love my wife, Lindsay. You guys know that. I love Lindsay. But if from time to time a demon takes over her body and starts, among other things, turning her sweet Lindsay face 
into a demon mask and, you know, and she starts letting out some, some burning hell shit gas. Look, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm going to leave her. However, she's going to have to find a new place to stay just for a while. She's going to have to find a new place to sleep until the demon stuff calms down. Right? Because I got to get my fucking sleep. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be, all right, all right, baby. It's almost sundown. So uh, time for you to head down to your demon dungeon. Get, get, go to your uh, apartment basement or wherever you need to be locked at night like a monster. Uh, I need to not sleep with one eye open this evening. Yeah. So I, I would, you know, I would still love her, but I would either get her a different place or move into a new house with a basement, with a steel door where I could lock her in there at night. After returning home, Annalise's condition uh, worsens Im- immensely. Something very strange, whether it's uh, physical, mental, spiritual, or some combo of the three clearly going on, her body would stiffen for hours at a time, and then she'd have to half walk, half drag, suddenly useless legs around the house. Uh, she looked terribly frightened all the time. She became chronically unable to pray. When Father Alt is unable to visit, uh, when he has other stuff going on, another priest who lives closer to the Michelle family home, Father Roth, he stops by to pray for Annalise. You know, Father Roth, you know, that's the guy who introduced... Uh, uh, the Michelle family too, father all in the first place. He would later recount an incident late in the summer, 1975, when Annalise charged him, uh, like charged, like charged at him when he came inside the home and screamed in an unfamiliar voice, just get out. And then she screamed, you are tormenting me. And then she screamed, gotcha. Ha <laughs> I gotcha. I got you guys. And then she behaved absolutely normal for the first time in years saying, oh shit, man, I got you guys good. You should see your face right now, Father Roth. Oh, Mom, Dad, you should see your faces. I have been fucking with you gullible guys for years. This whole time I've been joking around. Seven years I've been working this joke. I got you. I got Peter. I got my doctors. I got the priests. Booyah! And then decades later, Annalise's long con would inspire Ashton Kutcher to create Punked on MTV. It's a true story that is not true. Uh, Of course not. No, No, but she really did yell at Father Roth. Uh, we can imagine, imagine. It, that's too ridiculous, but if you just pretended to be extra, like possessed by a demon for a long time and they were like, ah, ha, ha, just kidding guys. I wanted to see how far I could take this. I'm just working on my method acting skills. No, uh, but she, she yells at father Roth and she throws some rosaries at him. She tries to throw a big, uh, five liter jug of water at him when he, when he tries to take a cross out of his pocket. Um, and then strangely in the summer, 1975, this physical stiffening is worsening. I don't really get that, but like most of the time now she can no longer bend her knees and she kind of just like limps along, like just like this stiff robotic walk. Very weird. One day in late July, she's limping along with Peter who offered to take her for a little walk, to get her out of the house where she's been, you know, super depressed. And then she suddenly drops to her knees, legs suddenly bend, uh, falls into a trance where she's unresponsive for about 10 minutes. Then she suddenly jumps back up. Her knees work fine. She seems happy. She shouts she was free. She claims to have seen Mother Mary, and then a true miracle occurs. Peter still does not break up with her. Uh, this is where I am for sure out. If Lindsay acts this way for this long, I will come visit her in the mental hospital where she belongs, and uh, but I will not let her stay at home. There's, there's no way. And if I was just like dating somebody, I, I, I don't think I could hang on that long. I don't know, man. Maybe maybe love, I guess, overrides reason, you know? Uh, maybe I just deal with it. But God, that would be tough. You know, someone couldn't walk for days, suddenly went into a trance. They said they saw Mother Mary, started jumping up and down. I would just, I would just assume they were batshit fucking crazy. I mean, whether that was right or not, you know, get the right therapy, take the right meds, or I'm out of here. Uh, for the next few months, Annalise starts acting normal, according to the sources I read. Uh, I'm guessing normal for Annalise was talking about Mother Mary and the devil all the time but not being actively possessed by the devil. 
Uh, I doubt, you know, normal for her was, you know, just putting on uh, a fucking Beatles record, just, you know, chilling out, smoking a joint. Um, she seems super wackadoodle to me at this point. Maybe she was possessed by some entity, but even if that's true, I feel like she was also severely mentally ill, this, this poor tortured woman. Then in September 1975, Annalise believes that she's seen the Virgin Mary again, and this time Mary wants her to do something. She says Annalise is to take penance for the sins of the country of Germany. As in self-punishment. You know, that's part of why she's uh, being possessed because she's got to pay for people's sins. Not weird at all. Not weird at all. Just going to, you know, physically harm herself to save her fellow Germans from some damnation. However, uh, she doesn't seem to actually start doing this at that time. And then the next month, October 1975, she returns to the University of Wurzburg. What the, what the fuck? How, is, how has she not been committed to a mental institution at this point? Seriously. Like, I'm not kidding. For her own safety. Clearly not well. She's not in the ballpark of well. How is she not in a padded room being evaluated by psychiatrists on a daily basis? This, this poor girl is fucked up. If one of my kids does half of what she had done by this point, they are getting locked up until we can figure out what is going on. Uh, this has been going on for years. So, well, of course things do not go well when she returns to school. Of, of course they do not. She, she rent, re-enters her old hostel room where when her body freezes, she becomes completely rigid again. So weird. She's standing frozen still in front of a crucifix hanging on the wall in front of her and her face distorts and she begins to growl like an animal. Then another miracle occurs. Her boyfriend, Peter, does not yell, fuck this shit, I'm out of here, and storm off. Uh, he actually starts to pray for her silently and Annalise or whatever Annalise has become orders him to stop. When she finally snaps out of it, Peter convinces her to return with him to her family in Klingenberg. Man, uh, hearing about this new episode, hearing about Father Ross, recent encounter with Annalise, Father Alt makes a new plea to the Bush bishop to please be granted permission to perform an exorcism ritual on Annalise. The entity is clearly taking control of her body. Bishop Stangle grants Father Alt permission essentially to perform some sort of a light exorcism. It's like a, like a small exorcism. That's what it was called in the book. Small exorcism. Apparently, this is like a baby exorcism, like a tester. You know, it's a couple prayers, but it's not like a big four-hour ordeal. Uh, on August 3rd, 1975, Father Alt and Father Roth go to Klingenberg uh, to begin their mission. of ex- this, this is a small exorcism. They, they pray uh, for Annalise. She whimpers and moans that she's burning. They do a couple exorcism, you know, rites. Uh, she also tries to knock the book containing the exorcism prayers out of Father Alt's hand. And then after Father Alt and Father Roth complete this small exorcism ritual, uh, well, things get worse. Uh, it really does not work. It, it seems to amplify whatever delusion and or possession Annalise is caught up in or taken by. She starts only sleeping about two hours a night now. Uh, she'd shout the prayer, my Jesus, forgiveness and mercy, forgiveness and mercy for hours on end over and over again. I do not know how this family was, was able to deal with it. Can you imagine living in the same house with somebody? They've been doing weird shit for several years. Now they're staying up all night. Just Jesus, forgiveness and mercy. Jesus, forgiveness and mercy. Jesus, forgiveness and mercy. Jesus, for, like fucking for hours. You're, you're in a living hell. Like, you know, can you imagine like your daughter, sister, or girlfriend starts freaking out on priests, chanting the same prayer hours on end? Again, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know, especially with Peter. I know I keep saying it, but I don't know how he did it. I, I've, I've thought about breaking up with people because I didn't like the way, like I didn't like the sounds they would make when they would chew food. Like I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I can deal with it. There was girls I went on a few dates with that um, their laugh, specifically the kind of laugh they had. I'm like, fuck, no, uh-uh. There's no way I can be around that for, for any longer. Cannot, cannot, this cannot continue. I cannot hear that laugh. Uh, I, I would, <laughs> I'm not, I am not psychologically wired to handle something like this. 
uh, Annalise would repeat certain patterns for hours. She'd kneel down, get up, kneel down, get up, kneel down, get up, over and over. She'd do it so many times her knees would swell up. They'd become ulcerated, all gashed up. She'd run through the house screaming. Uh, then after long periods, uh, she'd tremble, twitch, collapse, remain rigid for several days. Days. She is rigid. Sometimes the muscles in her neck are gonna, it would tense up like bands of steel. Why was she so stiff? Maybe she was sleeping on the wrong mattress. Maybe all this could have been avoided if Annalise Michelle had been sleeping on a Lisa mattress. Yes, Time Suck Today is sponsored by longtime suck supporter Lisa Mattresses, driven by the mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody. Lisa is an innovative direct-to-consumer online mattress brand, socially conscious as well. For every 10 mattresses Lisa sells, they donate one to a shelter through their 110 program. They plant one tree for every mattress sold. They donate 1% of each employee's time to volunteer for local causes. They also have a patent universal adaptive feel. You know, they're designed for all types of sleepers. They feature three premium foam layers, uh, including a two-inch Avena foam top layer for cooling and breathability, a two-inch memory foam middle layer for body contouring and pressure relief, and a six-inch demonic prevention layer. That's right. It is a layer uh, authorized by the church to keep demons out of your sleep, uh, which is fantastic. No, the third layer provides dense core support form for durability and structure. Uh, works for sleepers of all sizes. So get one. Try Lisa Mattress in your own home for 100 nights risk-free. Available in the U.S., the U.K., Canada, and Germany. Uh, also in Germany, which, you know, that's nice for today's episode. Uh, you can get them online. You can, uh, with free shipping, this 100% American-made mattress ships compressed in a box right to your door. Or you can try it at the Lisa Dream Gallery in Soho, New York City. Uh, or you can try it at the Virginia Beach location. You can, you can try it at over 80 West Elm stores nationwide. And you can get $125 off and a free pillow when you go to leesa.com slash time suck. All right, now back to Annalise. Back to her freaking out at home. Why didn't they take her somewhere? Uh, I guess she was terrified of being committed to a mental institution, uh, begging her family not to send her. But fuck, at that point, you got to lock. You got to send them. Even if you do think it's demonic possession, let them be possessed in a fucking mental institution. Don't let them stay at home around sharp stuff. Uh, Annalise suddenly couldn't eat solid foods, uh, could drink fluids only sparingly. The rigidity spread to her chest. She had trouble breathing. When Anna would try to uh, put a pillow under her head like her mom, you know, to try and help her, Annalise would ask her not to help because if she was helped, she'd be, she'd be forced to be punished further. You know, she, she would have to undergo something worse. Once when her father, Joseph, tried to hold her up because she's you know, on the floor in agony, her, she turns red and chokes and she's like gasping for air now. Like it makes it worse somehow. While she felt that she was not allowed to eat, she was able to eat flies and spiders. That's not creepy at all. She, uh, she would urinate on the kitchen floor. She would lick up her urine. You know, if people tried to stop her, she would attack them. She's attacking her family now. Everyone, I guess, learned to duck to avoid being kicked, punched, or bitten by Annalise. She's ripping holy pictures off of the wall, tearing rosaries apart. She wants us uh, shattered a cru crucifix on the corner of the bed, and she is rocking the accordion 23 hours a day. She's fucking dancing and working the devil's hand piano. Scales over and over. Different keys, different keys at the same time, different tempos at the same time. It's unbearable. No, she's not playing the accordion, but she's doing everything else. She's uh, sometimes during the heat of the day, she'd put her head in the toilet to cool off like a, like a dog. Once she rolled around in the, in, in the coal dust, I guess they had some coal dust on the property somewhere. Uh, and then, uh, and then climb into bed. She, she's out of control, man. There was, there was days when Annalise fought with Peter and her sisters from morning till night. Peter's shirts get torn up. His sleeves are ripped off. And, uh, and that's how Larry the Cable Guy got, got his uh, 
idea for his outfit from the Annalise Michelle exorcism. No, but by evening, they're, they're all exhausted. On the eve of the feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Annalise prays through the night until the following morning. So sometimes she is able to pray. And then sometimes she does it all through the night, which is also annoying to listen to. Uh, later, when she was herself again, she told Peter that August 15th was the worst day of her life. And she's had a lot of bad days. She's suddenly not able to pray or enter the church. She feels pre- prevented from entering by an invisible, you know, evil force. When the exorcism prayers are, are said quietly, it feels like her hands are in a, in a wasp nest. For some time, the demons attempted Annalise with despair and thoughts of suicide. She was tempted to jump out of a window or into the river. Yeah, I, yeah, I bet. Uh, one day, Annalise was under the kitchen table barking like a dog and wouldn't come out or stop barking. Everyone tried. I, again, I just, I cannot imagine dealing with this. Like, I can't, like, I get annoyed when my daughter Monroe, uh, again, back to the chewing thing, it's, it's clearly an issue with me. I'm like, she chews with her mouth open a lot. Uh, almost every meal, we have to remind her. Be like, hey, Smacky. That's what we call Monroe when she's chewing with her food too much. Smacky the frog. Hey, Smacky. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's ease up on the smacks. You know, or, or Kyler will do the same. Where he'll just constantly ask questions, but then not care about the answer. Like he just likes to, he just likes to constantly make noise. So he's either singing or mumbling, which I also do, which I know is annoying. And then he'll just constantly ask questions to kind of like not have silence. And then you'll start to answer his question. And then he'll just like walk off or just look at his phone and just completely forget that fucking 10 seconds ago that he asked you a question and you don't give a shit about the topic. You're only answering it to help him. And now he doesn't even care. And that stuff, that stuff drives me crazy. That stuff will, will drive me to a point of like, hey, dude, knock it off. What are you doing? Stop doing that. You know, I'll get really annoyed. If, 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 if he was, if the two of them were under the table barking like a dog for several hours, oh man, I would have to be tied up. I would have to be tied up to, to be prevented from hurting my own family. This is, uh, this is um, the stress these people were under. Well, they can't get her to come out from the table. Uh, her, her dad, Joseph, calls a friend from the church who comes over and finds her there. And she instructs Annalise three times the name of the Blessed Trinity to come out and sit down. And then I guess, quote, like a lamb, she slowly came out and took a seat at the table. So weird. She also starts uh, harming herself or or exhibiting, or uh, either she's harming herself or she's exhibiting signs of some kind of stigmata or both. She definitely was harming herself sometimes. This is what her mom said. Uh, Anna said, one morning I entered Annalise's room and said, Annalise, you're in bed today. I usually found her kneeling before the crucifix or doing some other form of penance. I noticed wounds on her feet, which were very swollen. They had occurred during the night. She later received the same on her hands. Her hands were not as bad as her feet. She suffered very much from these wounds. These like stigmata, crucifixion type wounds. So Peter, uh, sister Rose with and her parents, uh, they start taking two-hour shifts to prevent Annalise from hurting herself. The situation is becoming unbearable. Uh, they're trying to contact, you know, Father Alt uh, around this this particular episode. You can't get a hold of him. He's on vacation. So they get a hold of another guy, Father Rodwick. We've heard of him. Frankfurt, he decides uh, not to interrupt Father All's vacation. He's going to come over to Klingenberg and observe Annalise himself, get more priests in on this action. Uh, in, in early September 1975, he travels by train to Schaffenberg. Uh, they, they take this, uh, he gets picked up by another Father Airman. Uh, he gets driven to Klingenberg. In a subsequent statement, he describes his visit to the Michelle home. He says, when I entered the house, Annalise Michelle lay fully dressed on the floor of the kitchen and could obviously not be addressed. I am of the opinion she was in a typical hypnotic state, a deep sleep. I should like to remark that such a state is a symptom of possession. I designated it as a crisis situation. First, I went to the living room and I destroyed the accordion. No, first I went to the living room with her parents and I had them report to me about the condition of their daughter. Then I directed them to bring Annalise into the room and make her sit on the sofa. Her father led her in 
held her by the hand because she tried to hit her parents. She did not look emaciated. I sat down beside her and held her hands. In the, her trance state, a second personage announced herself, calling itself Judas. I had asked, what is your name? And her answer came, Judas. She spoke with an altered, much lower voice. I had held her by the wrists. During the conversation, I noticed that her cramped muscles relaxed. She came to and looked at me with surprise. Apparently, it was not until then that she noticed me consciously. Subsequently, I was able to carry on an entirely reasonable conversation with the real Annalise Michelle. I told her that we could not desert her or that we would not, excuse me, desert her and that we would help her. I was thinking of priestly aid through exorcism. Suddenly, the cramps started again. I asked her family to take her back to the kitchen. I told them I knew enough about the case that I found confirmation of my surmise that we were dealing with the case of possession and that I would have to consider what could be done. When I left the house, Annalise came out of the kitchen and slapped my cheek. And when, and when Father Rodwick went back in, after getting slapped, Annalise was playing all along the watchtower with the accordion. Yes, at Presto Tempo. Yes, the spirit of Jimi Hendrix was now inside of her. Walk, she was walking on the ceiling. She wailed that accordion. Her head spun a full 360 degrees as she shifted from verse to chorus. Then she flew around the room, played it behind her head for the accordion solo. No. No, she was suddenly playing the piano. She was playing music as if nothing had happened. As if, you know, she had never slapped him. For Father Rodwick, uh, important elements in defining possession were now present. Man, the spirit's name had been revealed. Judas Annalise showed an aversion to consecrated objects, fear of exorcism. And then as soon as Father Alt returned from his vacation, Father Rodwick called him to update him on Annalise's condition. And as far as he's concerned, this was definitely a case of total possession. He suggested that they get together to consult on how to proceed. They agreed they needed to bring in some, some more priests with more experience, higher standing in the church hierarchy to help them out. They contacted a priest named Father Renz. Uh, and then, you know, uh, Father Rodwick and Father, Father Renz, they all get together. And, uh, and now they send a, le- a, a letter asking for permission to perform a full exorcism ritual on Annalise. And on September 16th, 1975, the bishop responds saying, after due consideration with good information, I now charge the Reverend Father Renz, Salvatorian, superior in Ruk Shipak, uh, Shipak, uh, to proceed with Annalise, or Annalise, excuse me, I just wrote it down wrong, within the terms of CIC, or actually, uh, he wrote, I copied this, he wrote it down wrong, it's kind of weird. But anyway, he's meant to say Annalise, within the terms of CIC CAN 11511, for some time, my prayers have been directed to this concern. May God give us help. I thank everyone sincerely for their efforts. With best wishes and my blessing, uh, Joseph Bishop of Wurzburg. So, so, so supposedly, all of that is church code for, all right, enough's enough. Get the fucking devil out. Go in. Full exorcism. Full exorcism. September 23rd, 1975, the day Father Renz receives the bishop's letter, he visits the Michelles. Father Renz finds Annalise exhibiting no signs of possession. To the contrary, he finds her quite reserved, polite, and deeply religious. But based on everything uh, he has been hearing, he returns the next day to perform the first true exorcism rite. Uh, upon arrival, Father Renz is accompanied upstairs by Annalise's sisters, Rosewitha and Barbara, her parents, her boyfriend Peter, uh, Fathers Alt, Airman, and Roth, an altar set up on a side table covered by an embroidered tablecloth. On it stood a statue of Jesus and framed pictures of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, St. Michael, the Archangel, and Father Pio. Uh, chairs are set up around the perimeter of the room. The first first exorcism session, according to Roman ritual, begins at about 4 p.m., September 24th, 1975. This is the first full ritual. Uh, before the session begins, Annalise speaks and laughs with everybody. She then asks Father Alt to hold her hands because she did not know what was going to happen. And then she farted. Yep, not a super loud one. But one that was loud enough for everyone to know was her, and then she wouldn't fess up. 
And, uh, you know, it's that kind of an awkward tone for the whole procedure. Everybody got quiet, you know, a lot of side glances. And, uh, you know, and then they kind of just, you know, gradually got into the exercise. I have no proof that that happened. But it's funny for me to think about. No, after behaving quietly at the beginning of the exercise, Annalise reacts violently to the sprinkling of holy water. When Father Rents uh, makes a sign of the cross over her or sprinkles her with holy water, Annalise roars and rages and her body trembles and twitches. One could perceive the hatred in her facial expression. She was fully aware of her actions and heard everything spoken through her by the demons. Unlike some previously uh, documented cases where the victim was totally unaware of what was taking place. Uh, later, when Father Alt asked uh, Annalise what she saw, she responded, I only observed and I had no influence on what was happening. I'm only in the background just looking on. Joseph, Peter, and Peter Hine uh, held Annalise as she attempted to bite kick those be- before her. In spite of being restrained by the three men, she continued to struggle. At times, she screamed and howled like a dog. She often repeated, put away that shit or stop with that shit uh, to all the required text. How do you talk like that for a long time? That, that's, that also makes me think like uh, that, you know, makes me open to the possibility of demonic stuff because I do that voice and like literally two cents. It hurts my throat. Like it, it does not feel good. How would you talk that way for a long time? And be able to keep talking. Ugh. To all the required textbook questions, uh, such as what is your name, reason for possession, when are you leaving, no answers are provided by Annalise. Father Renz prays again and again in the name of the Blessed Trinity and calls uh, upon the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the angels and the saints to expel the demons from Annalise. And at the end, when the group prays, Annalise is furious. And this first session lasts approximately three and a half hours. All those present, especially Annalise, place all their hopes in the exorcism to end the possession so life could get back to normal Sadly, it does not. Uh, and, and what exactly is the Roman exorcism ritual? You know, well, the directions for conducting an exorcism com- are comprised in a single section of the Roman ritual, uh, Ritual Rom- Romanum, one of the books describing the official rites of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, prior to 1999, when the Vatican issued a revised exorcism rite to be used by Catholic priests going forward, uh, the exorcism rite had dated back to 1614. So it stayed the same for several hundred years. And you can find copies of the entire document of the old, uh, you know, Catholic uh, exorcism rite online. If you just want to, if you just Google Roman exorcism ritual 1614, and, and it's very wordy, it's very long. Uh, I, I get why it would take, you know, three and a half, four hours. Mostly, it's a series of prayer statements and appeals. Uh, in addition to recitations, the priest takes certain actions at particular times during the ritual. He sprinkles holy water on everyone in the room, lays his hands on the subject, makes the sign of the cross both on himself and on the subject, and touches the subject with the Catholic relic usually an object associated with a saint. And again, these are all just the Roman Catholic ones. I know that other Christian denominations have their own variations. Uh, there's typically four stages of an exorcism. There's pretense, which is that's the demon is hiding its true identity. That's number one. Number two is breakpoint. The demon reveals itself, says its name. Number three, the clash. The exorcist and the demon fight for the soul of the possessed. Number four, the mushroom tattoo. This is when the exorcist slaps the tip of his dick onto the victim's forehead hard enough to cause the skin to redden in the shape of a mushroom, in the shape of the head of the penis, very mushroom, hence the name mushroom tattoo. Only circumcised priests can pull this off, and demons hate it more than anything. They really hate it when you slap them with the tip of your dick. (laughs) Now, no, number four is expulsion. That's if the exorcist wins the battle, the demon leaves the body of the possessed. (laughs) I wish it was mushroom tattoo. Oh, God, I would love to see a priest <laughs> explain that with a straight face, you know, just in front of a congregation, just just go through that mushroom tattoo description as if that's fucking completely normal. Uh, okay, I know, I know I'm insane. Here's an example of an exorcism prayer uh, taken from the 1614 version of the Roman exorcism ritual. 
Uh, this is one of the things the priests uh, would say, and they'd have to follow this, you know, kind of word for word. I cast you out, unclean spirit, along with every satanic power of the enemy, every specter from hell, and all your fell companions in the name of our Lord Jesus and Christ be gone and stay away from this creature of God. For it is he who commands you, he who flung you headlong from the heights of heaven into the depths of hell. It is he who commands you, he who once more stilled the sea and the wind and the storm. Hearken, therefore, and tremble in fear, Satan, you enemy of the faith, you foe of the human race, you begetter of death, you robber of life, you corrupter of justice, you root of all evil and vice, seducer of men, betrayer of the nations, instigator of envy, font of avarice, avarice, fomenter of discord, author of pain and sorrow. Why then do you stand and resist, knowing as you must that Christ the Lord brings your plans to nothing? Fear him who in Isaac was offered in sacrifice, in Joseph sold into bondage, slain as the paschal lamb, crucified as man, yet triumphed over the powers of hell. The three signs of the cross which follow are traced on the brow of the possessed person at this time. And then the priest says, Be gone then in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Give place to the Holy Spirit by this sign of the Holy Cross of our Lord, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. And then all present yell, uh, say, Amen. And the priest says, Lord, heed my prayer. And then all say, and let my cry be heard by you. And the priest says, the Lord be with you. And then all say, he must also be with you. And the priest says, let us pray. And meanwhile, they're doing this. It's you know, in this room. Somebody is writhing and fucking talking in the demon voice. I mean, intense shit. I mean, ah, I, I can, I can, I don't know. I can barely imagine what it must be like to, to be in a room like that, just based on horror movies, I guess. But man, in real life, wow, that'd be intense. And this is again, but, but, but one of many, many prayers to be recited uh, at the afflicted during the ritual. Well, Father Renz, you know, he reads in Latin, uh, leads the prayer, sprinkles holy water, makes the sign of the cross. Oh yeah, and all that's done in Latin, by the way. Uh, touches, you know, uh, Annalise's forehead, you know, gives her a, a blessing, all according to the ritual. Uh, there's, and there's no time for him to write down an account of what's transpiring in his first uh, ritual. But from September 29th on, it's suggestion of, of uh, Thea Hein, a uh, church friend of the family, he does begin to tape record the sessions. And then Thea and Joseph, uh, you know, they, they make sure they're, they're all recorded. Father Renz later produces two tapes that we'll hear a little bit of here in just a second. Uh, he, he, and he plays, you know, highlights the more important session. Father Alt played this tape for Bishop Stangle during a visit with him in Würzburg to update him on the progress of the exorcisms. Uh, Annalise herself would listen to these later. She expressed her approval that the tapes be given to the bishop. And, you know, I, I, I obviously I joke around with all these uh, time sucks, and this one hasn't been scaring me too much until I hear this, these sound bites. I listened to them a little bit this morning before we started recording, and just freaky. So now obviously there's some creepy music that's been layered underneath them, but the raw audio to me does sound like the same raw audio from other clips I've found. So let, let's check uh, a few of these out. Wow, that is not fun to listen to. That is definitely not fun to listen to in the dark, in a little room by yourself. 
Uh, thank God it's during the day right now. I'm actually recording this this morning, the the, the release day. Wow, though, man. <laughs> scary, scary. Stuff. Listen, uh, one more. Let's listen to one more. This is another little moment of Anna, Annalise, Michelle uh, during one of these exorcism rituals. Jesus. Well, that that one really got me. Uh, that one, oh, gosh, there's a there, there's a window to my right, and I have like the blinds drawn like shut. But then, some some car or something must have driven by, and it made the shadows freak out, which made it look like the blind move. I, I about jumped out of my seat. Man, that was scary. Oh, jeez. Oh no no no! Now now that my now my computer screen just went black. Oh man. Ah, that is freaky. That is freaky. My God, that scared the shit out of me. Oh, okay. So, oh man, and then and then my I have my computer not plugged in, so, so the screen can go blank, and I didn't wasn't touching it, and then my and then I went complete darkness. Oh, I feel like a little kid. Oh, now I don't even know where I am in my notes. I'm all oh, I'm all out of it. I'm all freaked out. I thought I wasn't scared this episode. Okay, so sorry guys. I gotta I gotta pull my shit together. I gotta fi- find where I'm supposed to be. Okay, okay, now I'm back. Man, that really scared me. Okay, I keep going back and forth. This suck, man. Sometimes it starts to feel a little ridiculous, and I feel silly about it. And then something like that happens, and I'm like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know how much fun of this I want to make. Okay, so September 29th. Woo, I got the chills. Uh, 1975. Another exorcism. Father Renz states that Annalise begins to tremble uh, when he arrived for the session. Whew, there's a this is a translation of some of the guttural stuff uh, Annalise was saying that day. Uh, a spirit who identified itself as Lucifer said several times, man, that really freaked me out by the window. I just can't stop thinking about it. I don't like that I saw shadows move. I really don't like that at all because it's not happening now. Like why was it happening earlier when that voice was happening and now there's nothing? Man. Okay, a spirit who identified itself as Lucifer said, the pretentious one is obsessed. This is our work. Uh, she cannot take any exams. I'll take care of it. Uh, the snot nose is cursed. I will not let her free. Uh, I will not get out alone. And we are so many inside her. The snotty slut is ours. We're snotty. Uh, you have to pray much more. By by order of that one, Virgin Mary, they should still recite uh, rosary or else we cannot come out. The affair will last at least for half a year still. By order of that lady, people should fast. She was cursed in the beginning. She was cursed before. So she's saying all that in that crazy voice we heard earlier. And then another voice or spirit that identified itself as Judas said, People standing during during I, I planned on doing this in the in the scary voice, but I don't feel like it right now. People standing during during Holy Communion. This pleases me more than kneeling. I hate it. That thing that you wear, that great majority oh, there's like the cassock the priest is wearing. The majority do not wear it anymore. They no longer obey the Pope in Rome. It is the one in Rome who keeps the church going. To Father Renz, I know you have been to China. And there you have offended me much. You snatched souls from me. The one, so now she's, so I don't need to say the whole thing. She's just going on and telling them what they've been doing and stuff that she shouldn't know about them, which obviously is also very freaky. Uh, and then various other demons are identifying themselves. Uh, they cursed at the priest, argue with each other, all kinds of super weird stuff. Catholic martyrs for centuries past showed up to chat. The Emperor Nero shows up. Supposedly this is all possible. 
in addition to actual demons and Christian exorcism mythology, the souls, the damn can show up. And I bet a lot of you guys are thinking that I faked being freaked out earlier. That is so weird. Like I, uh, I, I was actually feeling kind of pretty okay about this episode until the window weird shit happened. Um, yeah, none of this is, I, I do not bullshit you guys. Uh, I go back and forth on whether I believe this stuff or not, but that I truly, that was like the most scared I've been on, on the time suck was that one moment. Uh, but in addition to actual demons uh, in Christian exorcism mythology, yeah, yeah, the souls of the damned can show up. I didn't realize that. It, it, it's not just like some weird entity, which I guess that I, I guess I did know that. I just wasn't thinking about it in that way. Like Judas isn't like some demon. It's like the person of Judas, his soul in hell. So I guess technically, if you got possessed today, in addition to like Judas, you know, you you, you could get Chikatilo. Just hello, it is I, Shadow Chikatilo. What is the big deal? I just, I just here to jerk new cock for a while. Cock once hard, now soft, full of shame. I bring you curse of Chikatilo. I wrestle you, priest. I wrestle you. Come on, priest. Let us lock cocks. Let us cock wrestle for possession of soul. Can you beat Chikatilo? Maybe we tag team. You get other priests. I get Richard Ramirez. He good friend. I jerk soft cock. He sexes up feet in hell. So I guess that is possible. That is possible. Uh, according to exorcism lore, that is possible. Why did that make me feel better? Now I feel a little better. Now I feel like in a better mood. Why is talking about a disgusting Ukrainian serial killer, how does that lighten things up? Uh, but Chikatilo, he didn't die until 1994, so he didn't show up with Annalise. Uh, but Hitler did, and Kane, you know, he'd been dead for a long, long time. So they're, they're showing up. Uh, it is that kind of stuff that, that, again, makes me sway back to the skeptical side for a moment. Because if evil spirits are going to show up, uh, why do they seem to be evil people the possessed person clearly knew of? If any damned ones could take over Annalise's body, why not like H.H. Holmes? You know, that piece of shit American serial killer from Time Suck 25 died in 1896. Uh, Odds are Annalise had not heard of him. You know, when you suddenly become Hitler, uh, it reads a little too over the top for me. Again, though, see, this is my notes that I have written down. But now (laughs) I keep talking. I know this is probably annoying. After the window thing, I'm going to have trouble sleeping tonight. If if I see weird shadows tonight, oh, man, I'm going to have to have some drinks tonight. Please don't. Oh, man, I'm going to take some melatonin tonight. I do not want to fuck around with shadows tonight. Uh, during one session, Annalise grabs a family friend by the throat, takes two men to pull Annalise off of her. This woman, uh, this woman, Thea, she's that uh, local uh, friend goes to, goes to church with the Michelles. She had initially arranged the whole ill-fated, burning, shit-scented uh, San Damiano trip. She would speak of the incident later saying she had the strength of a bear, yet she was a delicate thing. You can't imagine the strength she had. I, I, I thought this time she'd wring my neck. Five men were there, the priest, Peter, my husband, uh, Mr. Michelle, uh, and I believe Father Alt. I thought she was going to strangle me. So, the, And that is pretty strange. I mean, can that explain, be explained by mental illness? I mean, I mean maybe. I mean, I, I can't find any studies that definitively correlate, uh, you know, dramatic increases in physical strength with mental illness. Uh, Annalise once stated, I can speak any language but feel free to speak to me in German, although Father Renz normally would read his, uh, from his prayer book in Latin. On one occasion, he spoke freely without his book, and Annalise immediately pointed out that he had made a mistake and that his Latin was poor. It was, it was also astonishing to the priest to see Annalise's immediate responses to questions put to her in Dutch and Chinese. Now, I couldn't find direct audio of that, but how the hell do you explain that? If that really happened, and she doesn't know, like Chinese, how is she answering questions? Uh, apparently, that's used as a strong indicator of possession. Because, you know, if you're asking somebody a question in a language that their family knows that they don't know, and then the demon responds correctly in that language, yeah, that's, that would fucking blow my mind. Um, 
And I guess demons uh, apparently understand all languages because, you know, uh, in addition to supposedly having a higher intellect with human beings, I'm not, I'm not quite sure how that's been established. I don't know if there's uh, uh, any biblical basis for that. There isn't that I can find. It's like, hey, man, demons are like 20% smarter. But they've existed since the creation of the world. Uh, their knowledge of the dead, you know, dead languages has proven in many cases uh, to, to point to possession throughout history. Okay, anyway, constant exorcisms and conversations between the damned and the priests via Annalisa's body go on all the way from September of 1975 through February 29th, 1976. From February 29th, 1976 forward, the demons don't have anything more to say. Uh, I guess they I guess they got bored or something. They only rave and roar. They make mindless, inhuman sounds as Annalise's body jerks around like a rag doll. In all, 67 exorcism sessions would end up being performed one or two each week, lasting up to four hours between September 1975 and her death on July 1st, 1976. Man, 67. What's really interesting to me is that while all this is going on, she'll still have like periods of being lucid and of being herself again, like in the middle of all these things we've been talking about. Like like her life during this period just, just felt like it was uh, like she was suffering from some kind of spiritual bipolar disorder. She'd be having Judas take hold of her body, you know, one day. She'd be screaming, you know, at priests. She'd be screaming prayers at the night, trying to choke somebody out, eating flies, hurting herself. And then she would be okay for a little while and start like eating normally again. Because uh, somehow she was able to keep a portion of her schooling up throughout all of this. I had no idea how, but she did. On, on March 3rd, 1976, she actually travels to Würzburg. After all that we've already talked about, she, she goes back to try to work on this, uh, this uh, theology thesis she was supposed to be working on for school. Uh, that does seem fitting. It was theology. She's unable to finish it. She flips out again. She freezes stiff in her room again. Uh, it's like she's been playing you know, a, a many-year-long game of freeze tag with a horrible, invisible friend. Also, with the freezing in place, uh, she she flips out uh, at a chapel near school where she she bashes her knees after freezing, which she starts to move again, like bashes them bloody by constantly getting up and down in prayer. Uh, and then and then on April 14th, 1976, despite all that she'd been through, she's she's able to meet with one of her professors, Dr. Veth, who would actually later to describe later describe, excuse me, to investigators that at this time that that she appeared to be in good health still, both psychologically and physically. So weird. One day, stark raving mad, slamming knees into the church floor, snarling at a crucifix. Next day, having a productive conversation with a college professor. And then on April 30th, she loses her shit big time again. Freezes in her room and starts shrieking, and they can't get her to stop. Loudly and continuously, screaming endlessly. Her friends and her boyfriend, Peter, can't get her to, you know, to, to quit. They call two of the priests, Father Renz, Father Alt, who agree to come the next day. Uh, she screams until she falls asleep, and then the next morning, when she wakes up, acts like nothing happened. Constant back and forth of her life is continuing. Just, man, such a wild roller coaster. For the next few days, she alternates between periods of being in good health and good spirits, eating and drinking, and then periods of screaming and guttural noises where she won't eat. One night, her sister, uh, Roswitha, finds her gasping for air. Uh, she indicates that she's being choked by some unseen force. And then, and then at this time, and this is super spooky. Yeah, I don't like this part. I don't like this thing at all. Uh, she goes to a church with, uh, with Peter and Edelbin. Her face contorts demonically after sitting in one of the pews, and then and then allegedly she freezes in place to the point that that Peter tries to pick her up and move her, but can't lift her. She was not a <clears throat> excuse me, she was not a big woman. Uh, this is a phenomenon. Sorry, I'm so in my head with all the scary stuff. I just kind of had to like clear my throat, and I pictured I pictured myself coughing and a little beetle coming out of my mouth, and I lose my mind forever. <laughs> that's, that's my current mental state. So he can't pick her up, uh, 
yeah, this is a phenomena. According to a book I read on Annalise's possession, this is a phenomena known, and I couldn't find it on a regular Google search, but it was in this book uh, known as possessed gravity. And this is uh, allegedly when, when the possessed basically take on a new amount of greater mass that shouldn't be physically possible. And uh, I'm probably using that term wrong. Uh, greater weight. They become denser, not bigger. They, they become denser. And, and so they can't, they can't become moved. Like they're unmovable suddenly. Like similar to kind of how the possessed can, you know, like we talked about, supposed to become far stronger than what should be physically possible. They can weigh more. Now, I can't find cases of this, uh, you know, on video or anything. I've never seen it myself. But if it's true, impossible to explain scientifically. Like, well, like with the sudden extra strength, you can talk about like a huge adrenaline spike or some other physical factor. You know, uh, but but there's no way to explain just suddenly per, same person, same size, were 120 pounds, now feel like 400 pounds. That like would freak me out just like the person answering in a language they shouldn't know. I mean, I just – I don't know how you rationalize that if you, if you do see something like that in, in any other way than supernatural. On May 9th, the possessed gravity phenomena happens again. Uh, Annalise's parents, Joseph and Anna and Peter and a friend Bar- – her sister Barbara – all work together, can barely lift this tiny frozen woman into a car. Uh, during the rest of May and June, things then seem to ease up a bit. Again, the, the roller coaster, back and forth. Then uh, uh, in July, things become worse than ever. Now it's when it gets very, uh, very bad. Um, I'm sorry, not in July. I, 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 I wrote that down wrong. Uh, during the rest of May and the beginning of June, things, and then towards the end of June, uh, things get really bad. July, they would get really technically worse because she would no longer be alive. <clears throat> uh, she, she started barely sleeping again. She stopped eating. A lot of pictures on the web of Annalise are from this, you know, this final period. She looks emaciated. Her eyes are black and blue from self-harm. Starts injuring herself in various ways. She, she'd hit her head against objects, punch herself in the face. She'd bite herself, rub her face against the wall to scrape it up, on and on. Starts asking her family to tie her up so she can't hurt herself. Uh, she'd throw herself to the ground or, or you know, that, that's what it would look like. But also she would claim that something else was slamming her to the ground, some unseen force. Somehow in the middle of this violent chaos, she's still trying to complete a portion of her studies. I guess I admire her dedication, man, not to, not to give up on her schooling during all this. Still working on that theology thesis, still asking to have the deadline extended, uh, still having exorcisms performed on her. Um, yeah, that summer. Like, uh, go back a little bit, May 30th, 1976, Father Alt brings a physician friend of his to witness an exorcism, uh, you know, with uh, Annalise. And this Dr. Richard Roth. Allegedly, upon witnessing some of the craziness we've been talking about, cries out, my God, she has stigmata. There is no injection against the devil. Uh, Hopefully, Annalise was not aware enough to hear the doctor say that. That is not a good morale boost to hear a doctor essentially say, uh, official medical diagnosis, FUBAR. She is fucked up beyond all recognition. Uh, June 8th, that would be the last time Father Alt would see Annalise alive. One of her eyes uh, during this exorcism is swollen shut that time because she had recently thrown herself through a glass door. She's sickly and emaciated. She's refusing to eat almost all the time. When she could eat, it was as if she had some brief window in which she was allowed to do so by the unseen forces. Like she would just pound a few liters of juice or eat something really quick like an animal. And then she would like all of a sudden at some weird cutoff, whatever was still in her mouth, she would like, you know, spit out. She just had to be done. She would sometimes scream. The voices of the damned clear through the night, hours of constant screaming. June 30th was her last uh, exorcism. Uh, last night she would be alive. Uh, two of her sisters, her boyfriend, Peter, they're present. She, she'd come down with a fever this time around 102 uh, Fahrenheit. Uh, and uh, after after hours of exorcism rituals, she finally asked for, in her real voice for, for absolution from Father Renz, uh, a declaration of forgiveness for all her sins. He gives it to her, and then she says goodbye to Peter, her father, her sisters, 
She asked her mother to stay at her side, asked for everyone else to leave the room. And her last words, according to her mother, were, Mama, please stay with me. I'm afraid. That's so fucking sad. She, she fell asleep from exhaustion. And then sometime that night in the early morning of July 1st with her mother by her side, 23-year-old Annalise dies in her sleep. She had once told her family earlier that year that she hoped she'd be free of the demons by July. She had also been talking to Peter about wanting to get married that fall. And, and I, guess, uh, I guess she did get one of the things she wanted. Uh, through death, she was finally free of this torment, uh, we hope. And that takes us out of this Time Suck timeline. Good job, soldier. You made it back. Barely. Not long after Annalise's death, some of the priests involved in her exorcism would be put on trial for manslaughter, resulting from negligence. Uh, before I give a brief overview of this trial, uh, let, let's just check in real quick with the most heavily viewed Annalise video on YouTube. Let's lighten it up. This video has over uh, 40 million views. It's, it's called simply The Real Exorcism of Annalise Michelle, and uh, many of the comments underneath it are written, of course, by the idiots of the internet. Okay, before the idiotic comments, uh, some pretty funny ones in the comment section here. A uh, little reminder before we talk about them of what they are referring to. Let's listen to another little clip of Annalise Michelle, one of her exorcisms. Jeez. Wow, I uh, that yeah, that is very freaky. Not, I'm not as freaked out this time because I got now I got a full disclosure. I had to um break down and go uh during that uh, the segment when we when we uh, stopped recording for a second, leading into the, into the internet. I had to go <laughs> blow my nose. I didn't realize Lindsay. I thought she was home right now. She was at the office. She's in the office with Josh right now. I'm in the separate room recording. And they fucked with me. They, she went out and walked by the window. That was the shadow. That's why it scared me so bad. Cause it really was weird. And of course it was weird. Cause like no one's supposed to walk by that window. There's like a, there's like a space for like landscaping and then sidewalks. So I was like, why it looked like something was right by the window. So yeah, they had a good laugh, had a good laugh. And I'm glad uh, I walked out and I found that out so I could be uh, not as freaked out. But yeah, I wanted to let you guys know that's why it scared me so bad. It really was weird. Okay. So, uh, the voice though, still scary, still very scary. Um, uh, that's what those people, that's, that's what these people are commenting on in this thread. Roughly, uh, two minutes long of, of Annalise Michelle user Markek UTD posts. That's just how German people talk, which made me laugh pretty hard. Cause you know, it, I, look, I, I know I get a lot of German listeners, not the prettiest of languages, very guttural, uh, well played user Erica Platz, uh, posts. I thought that was a new single from Katy Perry. That was pretty funny as well. User Ya Boy post <laughs> sounds like my ass after Taco Bell. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, user user Todd Lynch post still better than Nickelback. Oh man, poor Nickelback. They got to be the most shit on band in history. Like as far as big successful bands, they've had a lot of hit like big albums, sold a lot of records. Man, they get shit on. <laughs> and this is gross, but also I, I do think this is pretty funny. Obviously, very irreverent. User Apollo post successfully masturbated to this. Ridiculous. Pretty ridiculous. Well played, everybody. Thanks for uh, participating in the internet. Now for some dumb. Now let's get to some dumb. Uh, 
Uh, user Jennifer Jelly Sushi Hunter posts a reply to someone who had their original comment removed. I feel, I feel like that happens quite a bit on YouTube. But I'm posting her reply anyway just because it alone is just so ridiculous. So she's, she's replying to Anonymous Pookie, whatever they said. And what she says is whether she was mentally retarded or not, that does not give you any all caps right to start calling her a all caps retard and all caps all things a bitch. What the fuck is wrong with you? You sound mentally retarded to me, so I should start calling you, all caps, a retarded asshole. I guess so. You're an egotistical, disgusting, all caps, retarded asshole who is stupid and ignorant. (laughs) Easy, Jenny. Easy, easy. Oh, man. Hello, pot talking to kettle. Uh, Let me get this straight. You're mad because someone referred to Annalise as a, quote, retard. And I'm with you on that. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that word. Uh, not a big fan. You know, it's one of the words I tossed around a lot as a kid you know, when I didn't know any better. Didn't understand how hurtful it is to a lot of people. But then if, if it's so offensive to you, which it clearly is, why are you using it so much? Why are you throwing that exact word back at somebody? That's so stupid. Like, you don't like that someone uses the word, so you call them that word, what, three, four times in one post? That's like getting mad about someone dropping an N-bomb, and then you refer to that person over and over as an N-bomb. Like, so weird to hate someone for saying a word that then you use over and over, you know? Hey, man, don't you ever say the word apple. Don't ever say that word, you rotten fucking apple, apple ass eating apple motherfucking apple person. Just replace the word apple with the word you find very derogatory to make that joke work for yourself. That's a fill-in-the-blank joke. Uh, User Gabby uh, Demond uh, does something I see all the time on the web that I just learned the proper term for. Uh, I feel excited to pass this along. She posts, I feel so bad for her. And, and when she posts it, what she's doing, it's called virtue signaling uh, on Urban Dictionary. I did not know about this. Virtue signaling, also defined uh, by, by Google as the action or practice of publicly expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or the moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. Bert Kreischer just told me what that is. I just did his podcast, BertCast. Uh, really fun, by the way. This, this past Saturday in Salt Lake City, had a blast. Super fun dude. Uh, he was at the other comedy club in town. Not sure when that episode will air. I'll, I'll let you know when it does. And he was talking about how much he hates it when people virtue signal uh, with their posts. We were talking about social media and you're just sick of all the political stuff where it's like, you know, it could be gun control, whatever. And somebody, they just, if they're liberal, you know, they just say meaningless cheerleading things or, you know, or conservative that just line up with the political stance on that issue of their favorite team, essentially. You know, like, like under a video about a school shooting, you know, people will post uh, stuff, that, <clears throat> excuse me, they'll virtual signal with stuff like, I'm sick of kids getting shot. Yeah, we all are, you dumb fuck. No one is arguing in favor of more kids getting shot, you moron. Like, that is not the issue. You are not adding anything intelligent to the discussion with your silly Captain Obvious cheerleading bullshit. Like, in this case, like, I don't like what happened to her or I feel so bad for her. Yeah, we all do, you shithead. That goes without saying. No rational, somewhat decent person is, is glad that all of this happened to her. It's, a, it's an obvious post you put there to let other people know that you are a good person. It's meaningless. It's hollow. And it's now a pet peeve of mine as well. And, uh, you know, add something interesting to the dialogue or shut the fuck up. You know, don't just say like, that's messed up how she starved. I don't like it when people starve. I don't like it when bad things happen. Okay. Uh, one more. User Echo X Ruby posts something that makes me hope that she really isn't a teacher. She says, I have a class of children diagnosed with autism, and one of them does that noise and speaks that way really often. This has nothing to do with demons. Really? 
so what what you think that because you heard one autistic kid make that noise that you think that Annalise was autistic you fucking moron I can make that noise right it's not a noise limited to Annalise or autistic kids uh you are focusing way too much on one tiny part of a giant picture Annalise's issues went a little deeper than the type of voice she used. Do, 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 your, do your autistic kids also speak fluently in other languages that, you know, make that voice? Do they pin themselves to their seats, go into trances, suddenly become heavier when you try to lift them out of their desk? Do they choke classmates with superhuman strength? Look, I'm not saying exorcisms are legit. I'm not saying I, I know that or I even believe that. Uh, jury's out for me internally. But if you're going to mock them, mock them in a way that makes sense. Like, how are you a teacher? How are you in charge of anything? Who put you in charge of a class of autistic kids? Focusing on only the sound she's making is the reason she couldn't be possessed because other people can make the same sound. It's sort of like thinking a murder suspect can't be guilty because they supposedly murdered someone with the same type of knife that you have at home. And you haven't murdered anyone with that type of knife, so no one could. Like the murder isn't about the knife. The knife is one small part of the murder. In a similar way, you know, possession isn't about a scary demon voice, you know, that anyone can do. If possessions are real, the scary demon voice is one small part of a much more serious condition. All right, let's get the hell out of here. Idiots of the internet. Okay, so the trial. Let's talk about that real quick. Uh, big trial after this, you know, uh, big in the media. Dr. Roth, he, he writes out the death certificate for Annalise. Doesn't have the, or he starts to. He comes to write, to write it, but he doesn't have all the proper forms, so he calls Dr. Keeler. He comes to inspect the body. Dr. Keeler writes that the death was not due to natural causes. Uh, which is what Dr. Roth wanted to say. Father Alt contacts the state attorney's office. Post-mortem examination is done. Pathologist uh, said her death, yeah, uh, said her death, excuse me, yes, is not caused by natural causes. It's caused by starvation, possibly aggravated by all the physical activity, you know, i.e. the exorcisms that she was doing during her final weeks. Interestingly, though, also the autopsy revealed that her inner organs were healthy, including her brain, and and her brain did not show any damage that could have been caused by epileptic seizures. Uh, not that she didn't have epi- epilepsy, but it hadn't damaged her brain, at least like not physically. Also odd was that her pupils were, you, uh, you, or that pupils are usually dilated and, and, and the body showed no, uh, decupitus, which is uh, kind of ulcers customarily found in patients who have starved to death. So some things didn't line up with the diagnosis. The local rumor mill gets crazy, goes crazy. The press catches wind of her exorcisms and questionable death. Local non-religious journalists go hardcore against the church. They frame the narrative of Annalise's death as the fault of medieval and superstitious church practices. But then there's the other side. There's local people who did believe that the devil did it, did believe she was possessed. Uh, and then suddenly a number of people in, in, in town in the area start reporting that they're being possessed by the devil or by Annalise herself. Uh, they start reporting messages basically saying that she didn't die because demons uh, of the exorcism, but instead she chose to die. This is another group of people as, as being like a like a sacrificial victim for Germany so that evil would not win. So people are going crazy with this. There's uh, there's still the, the that belief that someone can essentially pay for the sins of others by being punished by the devil. I'm not sure what kind of sense that makes. But it is a belief that Annalise herself had. Uh, it's a belief that Annalise's mother had to her dying day. She felt that Annalise just took on the sins of others, and that's what happened to her. Uh, a criminal investigation begins slowly. The authorities uh, take their time, gather evidence over uh, about a year to get ready. Um, there's a rumor for a while that they're going slow because they just want – they just don't want to prosecute anyone. They want to just kind of go away, but that's not true. They do prosecute. Uh, there are those in the wake of Annalise's death that claim to hear again from Annalise herself, such as Sister Dorothea, a Carmelite nun. She claimed to receive messages from Annalise that Annalise wanted to have her body exhumed to provide proof that there was uh, demonic forces at play, and the proof would be provided 
in the form of uh, her corpse would not have putrefied. There would be no decomposition. Well, they actually do exhume her body the following year under the pretense of her family wanted to switch out the coffins, but they, they believed that the real reason was to see if this was, was true and uh, not true. Sorry, Sister Dorothea, uh, you did not hear anything other than your own imagination. Finally, Annalise's parents and the two priests, uh, with her at the end, Ernest Alt, Arnold Renz, they are charged, so all four of them charged with negligent homicide. And the trial of the priests and the parents uh, goes on. Uh, it's a big deal with the press. The courtroom has a seating capacity of 180 of the seats are reserved for the international press. Uh, Joseph, Mike, Michelle, her dad, suggests that since this was a case involving the devil in possession, everyone in the court should kneel down and pray. Uh, but the presiding judge, he's had enough of that uh, with this case, Elmar uh, Bolander. And he says something along the lines of, this is a court, not a church. And the idea is rejected. I, I bet he wanted to say, look, this is the shit that got us here in the first place. Ah, uh-uh, no more. Not in this case. Uh, the judge actually was quick to distance this case from religion. Part of the judge's opening remarks were, this was a matter of two civilians facing the court, not two servants of the church, as far as the priests in this particular uh, charges. What was involved, he said, was that some citizens violated the law. It was a neglect in a sense of the law. It was therefore important to state clearly this was not an attack against the faith, against the exorcism. The only point to consider, he maintained, was the fact that the girl had starved to death. And then the case kicks off, and I feel like all those journalists end up getting a lot of the stories they want, a lot of good sound bites. At one point during the trial, Father Alt says to the judge, Your Honor, you may laugh about this, and even 50 million people, uh, it says in the quote, relax about this. 50 million people relax about this. Uh, maybe we're meant to say also laugh. I don't know. I think it's like there's some translation problems here. But he says, If I am to tell you that we did cast out 50 demons, I stand by what I'm saying because I am representing also the authentic belief of the Catholic Church. Can you imagine something along uh, the lines being those or along those lines being said today in a U.S. court? Uh, did I tie my wife up in the basement for several days, Your Honor? No, I tied up six demons that were using my wife's body for several days. That that kind of talk would not help your case. That's not going to get your case dismissed. Uh, might add some extra time to it. Uh, Father Alt uh, never thought she was dangerously ill. He spoke about the various demons, about how Annalise didn't want to eat because of the demon influence. Father Wren said if he suspected a real physical illness, he would have been the first to contact medical help. A lot of testimony was given during Annalise's trial, friends, classmates, family, doctors, other members of the clergy. At the end of the first week, uh, the court heard some exorcism tapes, the ones we listened to, to show that she was possessed. Uh, Father Rodwick, he was called up to testify, said that out of the thousand cases of possession that he had data on, no one had ever died. Uh, He compared a state of possession to a hypnotic state in the sense that people have no idea over what they're doing. Peter and Thea Hine uh, also testified on Friday that Annalisa uh, did not want to talk to a physician because she was terrified of being called crazy, sent to the state mental institution. Uh, regarding the medicine Annalise was, t- was taking to control her epilepsy, that uh, Tegretol, a doctor testified that while some of the drugs prescribed for the treatment of epilepsy could themselves produce a psychosis, this is not known to be the case with Tegretol. So they don't think it was the medicine. Uh, Annalise's parents did a, uh, they, they dug a pro- uh, proverbial hole for the priests when they kept saying that they entrusted their daughter's body and soul to the care of the church and the priests. Prosecution used that as their argument, saying that when the priests undertook the exorcism, they assumed responsibility for the care of Annalise, and through their negligence, she died. And here's what the court ended up deciding. The court opinion was that the parties to the affair could not have known that the epilepsy had morphed into the psychosis, which is what had taken place, and then in May 1976, Annalise no longer had the ability to decide her fate freely. The exorcisms had influenced her illness. By not calling a doctor, uh, the defendants had become guilty of negligent homicide. And, but then they, they got kind of a meaningless sentence. 
They were they were sentenced to like half a year like in prison, but then that was suspended for three years, and none of them ever spent uh, a, a day in jail. And then they just had to pay court costs. Uh, is basically all they had to pay. The, the defense said they were going to appeal because they didn't like you know a guilty verdict, but then they didn't. Father Alt uh, wanted to have his sentence revised, but he refused the appeal, saying this is a matter of God. Worldly courts could not pass judgment on it. And then after the trial, some more w- weird shit goes on. And I do feel like the judge was lenient because it was just a fucked up situation. You know, it wasn't like she was this completely healthy girl and all of a sudden her parents chained her to a bed and forced priests to do exorcism. Like she wanted it. She was a grown up when she wanted it. Uh, maybe she was mentally ill, but it was very confusing, as you guys now know after listening to this suck. Uh, and then after after she after the trial, people keep spreading messages attributed to her speaking from beyond the grave. Uh, Doctor Veth, that theology professor, she kept trying to trying to finish her thesis for uh, the man who spoke against Father Alt at the trial. Uh, he died shortly after the trial of a heart failure. Uh, another priest who te- testified against the defendants also died suddenly right after the trial. Two men who had built a floating uh, a float, excuse me, spoofing the exorcism during a, during a carnival parade in Klingenberg, they were injured in a freak accident right after the trial. Uh, Peter, her her boyfriend, his eyes right after the tr- trial turned jet black. He had horns sprout from his head. His legs turned into goat legs. He sprouted bat wings. Uh, he started flying around to places instead of walking, and that people thought that was weird that that happened at that time. Um. Of course not. That was ridiculous. The suck, the suck leaves us with so many questions. Let's, you know, kind of final wrap up here. Was Annalise just mentally ill? You know, but then how does that explain all the things that didn't just happen to her? Like the smells and, you know, even some of the sounds, the weird, you know, uh, being unable to be lifted. Uh, there's also a question, though, if she wasn't part of a culture deeply rooted in Catholicism and, and you know, uh, would this have happened in the first place? Uh, there's this Freudian psycho, uh, psychoanalysis of Annalise's possession in that uh, her, her symptoms of hysteria or her symptom of hysteria was, was caused by sexual conflict. You know, did she have this hysteria because her, her dad was authoritarian, like the one therapist said, and that she hated her mother? Is alleged possession really just some sort of regression in a childhood behavior? Uh, there's also this weird thing that women seem to experience possession more often than men. Why is that? You know, uh, why do possession trances often uh, occur most uh, or most often occur in agricultural societies where women are brought up to be obedient and nurturing as opposed to be independent? You know, is it somehow cultural? You know, I mean, she clearly wasn't raised to be a strong, independent woman. And and, and you don't hear about strong, independent women in my uh, to my knowledge becoming possessed. You don't you don't hear about some like, you know, white collar, independent career climbing, ass kicking, go getter. Suddenly her career is derailed because she's possessed all the time. Um, I feel like it's like women like Annalise, like very religious, a little a little more docile, uh, you know, a little more easily dominated than they are dominated at home. Uh, and then there's still the question of, you know, even though it's not supposed to have these side effects, did that drug uh, Tegretol somehow kill Annalise? You know, was it some kind of possible drug intoxication? Could that explain her strongly dilated pupils at the moment of her death? Drug intoxication could account for uh, scary vocalizations, perhaps, at the end. A uh, patient in London around 1995 was given a very high uh, uh, dose of, of LS, what, LSD-25 during some psychiatric consultation. I'm guessing that is not uh, the same as just, you know, street acid. And the patient tried to speak, but instead of words, he went into a vocalization that was just as scary. Actually, I think that is uh, acid. But, uh, but anyway, he tried to uh, speak when he was high, and he goes into some vocalization that was just as scary as Annalise's vocalizations. Uh, his his words were faster at the end, like hers. Uh, they varied erratically. So, you know, this, this is just under that umbrella of, like, speculation of did, did the drug she was on have something to do with it? Um, the effect of Tegretol on the blood, especially the, the platelets, ca- does cause users to bruise easily. Could that account for Father Renz's description of Annalise, uh, Annalise looking black and blue after hitting herself? 
Ulceration of the gums is another symptom that some Tegretol users suffer from. And you see pictures of her at the very end, and she did have these uh, mouth kind of sores. You know, the fasting could be seen as an unrecognized side effect of the drug. Who, who knows? Who knows? We'll never know for sure. And that's why this topic is creepy. Yeah, there's, there, there's a lot of possible scientific explanations for some of what happened. To explain all of it, I, I believe, is a little trickier. Uh, I guess maybe, maybe it still can be explained by scientific principles I don't understand, you know, but what if it can't? How much would that, you know, fucking destroy your worldview? <laughs> what if it wasn't Lindsay who had ran by the window to scare me earlier? What if it was a fucking demon thing? You know, how much does that change your outlook on life? Man, we have so many things to worry about in life, man. Money, health, relationships, being harmed by some psychotic stranger, being harmed by some, you know, seemingly non-threatening friend or family member, natural disasters, war, famine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what if something actually uh, exists outside of all those that's even scarier? What if the fucking devil exists? What if his minions exist? What if that son of a bitch is a real thing, a real entity? What if shadow people, the top hat man, all that stuff? What if it's real? I hope not, but a lot of people believe it. I say I don't believe it. Most of the time I don't, but you heard how freaked out I got when I thought I saw something. So clearly, a part of me thinks it's possible. I mean, it is scary, man, when you think you hear something. Something that just just doesn't sound right. It feels off. You know, you suddenly feel a presence. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. You know? God, I just, like, I, like, I can hear, oh my God, I can hear something right now, actually. Can, can you hear that? Is, that? is that coming through the mic? Listen, right, listen close, right, right there. It, it feels like it's, it feels like it's in the room. It's Bojangles. He's telling me to wrap this fucking episode up. Get to the top five takeaways. Damn it. That sometimes scary one-eyed, three-legged, beautiful mascot gets us. Ah. Oh. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one. Annalise Michelle, at 23 years of age, definitely did die early in the morning of July 1st, 1976. That we know for sure. The events that led to her death will be questioned forever. Number two. Two of the priests involved in Annalise's exorcism and both her parents were found guilty of negligent homicide, but could her death really have been prevented? If you believe that demons are real, probably not. Number three, possessed gravity. That term will stick with me forever. If you go to lift your normally very liftable friend uh, and you can't because they're very heavy, watch out. They may have recently put on some demon weight. Uh, number four, virtue signaling, the action or practice of publicly expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or the moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. Now that you know what that is, check out how much of that there is online. It's incredible. And number five, new info. Uh, don't let this suck inspire you to go out and try and commit exorcisms on your own. Don't go rogue. Uh, some sisters in North Carolina, <laughs> excuse me, South Carolina recently did. Uh, some sisters... They called what they did an exorcism. Police called it uh, assault and kidnapping. Uh, recently in South Carolina, sisters Brittany Jones, 28, and Tiara Jones, 26, are now facing charges for allegedly assaulting a neighbor with the cross and what police <laughs> and what police called an exorcism attempt. The incident happened last month, March 19th. Uh, <laughs> they, they broke into their 56-year-old neighbor's house, held her against her will for a, quote, extended period of time, according to the police reports. And they hit her uh, over and over on the upper and lower parts of her body with the cross, believing she was possessed. She finally escaped and got help from a neighbor. And then officers arrived at her residence and found her home in disarray. So while exorcisms might be real, you should probably not attempt one, especially on a neighbor. Can you imagine that? Your neighbors break in, hold you down, and start beating you with the cross. Don't do that. Don't do that. Time suck. Top five takeaways. 
The Demonic Possession of Annalise Michelle, Part 1 and Part 2, now in the suck pile, next to the suck shed. Uh, Thanks to Harmony Velikamp, Jesse Dobner, Lindsey Cummins, Josh Krell, the entire Time Suck team for their help, and huge thanks to the Lily Twins, Rebecca and Sarah, OG members of the Bojangles Research Department for crushing it on the research. So what is next? Uh, Monday, we suck on the Spanish Inquisition. Uh, According to modern estimates, around 150,000 people were persecuted for various offenses during the uh, three-century-long duration of the Spanish Inquisition, out of which between uh, somewhere between 3,000 and 5,000 people were executed, many of them horrifically tortured before dying. Uh, Interesting little run uh, through Christianity uh, we've had lately. This will be the last one for a while. I'm looking on the calendar, uh, and after this one, we're we're out of that wormhole. We go serial killer after this. I'm always wanting to uh, uh, learn more about the Inquisition. And uh, I have a feeling we're going to know a lot more about medieval torture devices in a week than we do right now. Uh, Hopefully for those of you who like the uh, Salem Witch Trial suck, which is still one of my favorites, this will be another uh, kind of of that ilk. And now let's find out what you suckers have been talking about this past week uh, with some Time Sucker updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker updates. Nick Glazer has written in to try and set some of our minds at ease regarding the possibility of de- demonic intervention in our lives. Uh, he, he does not believe in it, and here's what he writes. He writes, Dear Sucker of all things suckable, I am 20 minutes into Time Suck, bonus episode 20, as I write you this message. I just heard you say that Richard Gallagher's endorsement, this is that uh, NYU professor uh, and the, uh, yeah, the uh, psychiatrist, um, his endorsement of demonic possession has you frightened and believing it might be real. I applaud your open-mindedness. But in this case, I can ease your fears for Dr. Gallagher has committed an important logical fallacy in reaching this this conclusion. He noted that there were some cases that he could not explain and concluded that there must be demonic possession, possession, but countless other equally logical explanations also exist. For example, the secret knowledge you mentioned that had convinced him of his first case might just be psychic. There's not something – that's not something a psychologist would be able to explain and is at least as plausible as ethereal hell beasts. For him to have leapt all the way from I don't know what's going on here to demons are real betrays an inadequate understanding of logic uh, that is certainly present in the rest of his work as well. So take heart, O Sucker Supreme. Demons are no more likely now than they were when you began researching this episode. It's nothing but a network of psychic pranksters delving into the innermost secret parts of our minds and making us think demons are real. No big deal. Hail Nimrod. Screw Lucifina. Switch those up every now and then. Nick. Thank you, Nick. And, you know, that's an excellent point that I, that I did not think of. You know, just because something that we, we can't see might exist uh, that also might be able to, you know, in this example, like uh, affect our decisions and, you know, uh, harm our lives, that doesn't, that doesn't make it necessarily Satan or, or some minion of the devil. Something else could be out there that we don't know about, some, some other weird paranormal life form that just enjoys, for whatever reason, making us think that demons are real, for example. Because uh, when you enter the realm of the unprovable and the unknown – Suddenly, everything becomes possible. Anything is possible, not just demons. So that's interesting food uh, for us to suck on, Nick. It, it could be Lucifina. Maybe Lucifina's out there, right? Maybe Nimrod's testing us. So thank you and hail Nimrod. And uh, John Perkins, he wrote in with a pronunciation update for a word I don't even remember saying, but I have no doubt that I did. And apparently I did so incorrectly, which I also am not surprised by. He writes, what person <laughs> over 13 uh, doesn't know how to pronounce the name uh, of the city of Prague? Hail Nimrod. Apparently, apparently me, I guess. I can't believe I fucked that one up. It's Prague. What did I, I looked it up again. What, what, did I, what did I say? Did I say Prague or something? I don't know. Maybe I was just talking too fast. Damn mush mouth. Sorry about that, John. Thanks for the uh, correction. 
Uh, this message isn't really an update to anything. I just found it funny. Sucker Jeremy Bayman sent in the following. <laughs> he just said, the whole message said, parents just asked me to leave dinner. They were talking religion, and I played I Keep Forgetting. Uh, <laughs> promptly yelling, uh, you've been Michael motherfucking McDonald. Hail Nimrod and his prophet. I just, that's, it's, you, you, you paint quite, quite a picture with only a few words there, Jeremy. I love that you were asked to leave dinner. I, I, <laughs> and, the, and then they were talking religion, so I imagine you were being sarcastic. And, and then you somehow play, I'm guessing on your phone, I keep forgetting, I'm not in love anymore. And then I love that you yell at your already annoyed parents, even Michael motherfucking McDonald, which, I, and then Hail Nimrod and his prophet. I, I'm sure they were, they were not thrilled, but it sounds like you live in a weird, fun house if you felt comfortable even doing that. I love it. Uh, Northwest sucker Nicholas Carbonell writes in with a flaming shit update. Because remember I was talking about how I, like how, how does anyone know what flaming shit smells like? Well, he does. He says, Sir Suckington the... <laughs> I didn't catch this until just now. Sir Suckington the turd. I wanted to say third, but you wrote turd. Well played. First time caller, long time listener. Time Suck was the first podcast I listened to after being hounded by friends. Oh, I love that people are hounding people about Time Suck, spreading it. Uh, my better half and I just listened to the first part of Bonus 20. To answer your question, who knows what burning poo smells like? Well, I do. I burned my fair share of duty while in Iraq. Thank you for your service, by the way. 15 months of it, and honestly, it's not, it's not that bad. Yeah, maybe after a while you acclimate. I bet initially it was bad. Uh, I'll tell you, there's nothing like drinking beer while bullshitting around a 55-gallon drum of burning shit. Anyways, senior perform stand-up in Spokane. We'll be there for the live recording in May. Fuck yeah. Uh, love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Uh, hope you make it to Missoula sometime. Me too, man. It's only a few hours away. I love Missoula. Also, I shit you not, there was a three-legged pit bull mix that sexually assault- assaulted my dog at the dog park. I'm sure it was your doing. Hail Nimrod and hail Lucifanus, fine ass. Nick and Shelby. Uh, well, thank you, man. I, you know, I, and, I, and I had similar messages from other uh, military listeners who have had to burn shit. So, uh, so yeah, so I guess people do know what it smells like and, uh, I guess it's pretty rough, even though you say you got used to it. A uh, religious sucker and good human Breck Squire sent in an awesome update saying, I know you aren't religious, but as a Christian, I have some thought on this as well. And, and this message, by the way, is referring to me saying like, why do de- uh, demons always seem to go after religious people? Well, he has an interesting thought on this and other people sent this uh, same thought and put yourself in a world where God is hell, uh, or sorry, where God is hell, where God is real. Uh, it's a different world. Where God is real and so is hell. This is the world I believe in. That being said, people who aren't being saved are going to hell anyway. So why would a demon target a non-religious person? That would be damning the already damned. Instead, I think it is way more plausible that they would target those who are likely to go to heaven in order to prevent as many from going. All that being said, know that I've been praying for you to come to know Jesus. You're a stand-up guy, and it would be great to know that you are saved as well. Can't wait for part two Monday. Super pumped. Hail Bojangles. And, and some people get annoyed by that. It's funny. Some non-religious people are like, oh, God, stop. Stop praying for me. Stop with that. I, I consider it a compliment. It, 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 uh, similar to uh, – it's like when people get freaked out when like if they're straight and uh, someone who's gay hits on them, that is also a compliment, right? That, that is how they're expressing their interest in you. It feels good to be wanted. feels good that people want, you know, want me to be saved. So, uh, yeah, I had a joke about that years ago. Uh, I think it was crazy with the capital F about how I had a friend who was very Christian and uh, never brought it up. And I'm like, dude, you, you believe I'm going to burn the lake or fire forever? And you fucking you can't throw, bring it up once? I can't remember the rest of my own joke, but, but I've thought about this before. So thank you. I, uh, I appreciate you thinking of me. Finally, uh, final update from a young master sucker, Harley Russell, doing big things right now. He's, he, wrote, uh, he writes, Dear King and Queen Cummins. Oh, my wife's going to love that. Lindsay loves it when she's included. The master Dr. Reverend uh, and the entire research crew. 
I want to thank you for all the hard work on putting together this awesome podcast. I've been listening for a year or so now, and for the past six months, I've been slowly working my way into getting into the Coast Guard. Well, tomorrow is the big day where I swear uh, in and I fly out to begin on Tuesday, the 23rd. You know, you've kept me entertained on all my runs, and uh, I'm making sure, yeah. Oh, wait, Tuesday the 23rd. Oh, yeah, Monday's actually the 23rd, so I don't know if uh, you have the, the 23rd wrong or the, or the day wrong. But anyway, it's either happening for you today or tomorrow. And uh, that's why I paused there. And Harley says, you've kept me uh, entertained on my runs. And with that, I've been able to improve my run time by about seven minutes per mile. I've dropped nearly 45 pounds. Wow. Finally make it below the weight requirement. The one upside to me being gone for these two months is that when I get back to having my phone again, I will be able to soak up so much suck uh, knowledge in my downtime what little of it I may have. To the listeners, please send your thoughts and positive vibes as I will need all the help I can get, I'm sure. Thanks again. Can't wait to hear your shenanigans through my headphones again in a couple months. Sincerely, soon to be semen recruit and space lizard. Mm-hmm. And that is Harley Russell. Uh, Harley, oh man, congratulations, buddy. Uh, if it's today, if it's tomorrow, if you're, if you're hearing this now, if you're in this in two months, uh, we are thinking of you. And uh, glad to suck and help you kick some ass and accomplish what you want to in life. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. Well, that's all today, time suckers. Hope to see a bunch of you in San Fran this week. Don't get possessed. Don't get possessed this week and don't exercise others. Uh, if it is possible, um, doesn't seem to be a good time to get possessed. And, and, and legally, the police don't like it if you try to exercise random strangers or neighbors. So keep off, uh, keep off, keep off the demons. And keep on sucking. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.